Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. All right, welcome everyone. We are joined by the legend of the game. I can say that very confidently. Mr. Mike Sexton joins us. Mike, how are you? Yeah, doing good, Jeff. Thanks. It's good to hear. It's uh, it's crazy times. It's good to know you're staying safe. I know we chatted a bit before. Uh, everything's good. Family's good. What? Uh, give us a little bit, Mike, about pretty much everyone in poker knows who you are. Some people may be outside of poker here that are watching and listening. Tell us a little bit about yourself and sort of your journey uh, leading up. I know you did a, uh, you were in, you know, going through what you got, well, you did wrote the book, Life's a Gamble. You, you went to Ohio State, you were an athlete. So give us kind of like the background, just give us like a little bit of your early goings before getting into poker and then we'll, we'll dive into the poker's part. Yeah, I grew up in Dayton, Ohio. Went to Ohio State on a gymnastics scholarship. When I got out of college, I joined the Army. Got stationed in Fort Bragg, North Carolina with the 82nd Airborne Division and started playing some poker and some home games down there. Got a job as a sales rep when I got out of the Army and quit the job after three and a half years to just start playing poker for a living. I was making more in the poker games than I was making at the job. I ended up getting a divorce. And uh, so that's how I got into poker. And I said, you know, I'm single again. I just love playing poker every day of the week in these home games. If I get broke, I can always get another job. And uh, for the next 25 years, I literally just played poker for a living. Never had a paycheck, never had a job. And then at the end of the 90s, I started an event in poker called the Tournament of Champions of Poker, which was my dream to start that event. And I did it for three years. But that putting that on, I lost money with it, but putting it on led me to my job with Party Poker and the World Poker Tour. So I sort of transitioned over the business side of poker. And then obviously for the next 15 years, 20 years, I was working for Party. For 15 years, I was a commentator on the World Poker Tour. So, uh, And then I still played in some tournaments when I had a chance to. But but it's been an amazing career, honestly, for 50 years. And uh, I'm just so blessed that uh, you could do what you wanted to do all your life and something you love, travel the world. I mean, what more could you ask for? It's been beautiful for me. Listen, I, I, uh, I've, I've, I'm very familiar with your career. I was there calling the action on the live stream when you won the WPT in Montreal. Like that was November 2016. That was very special. I know as you are, you're basically the face. You've been with the World Poker Tour uh, for, you know, I guess the majority of it. Obviously now Tony Dunst took over. You took a role as chairman and in a, in a big position at Party Poker. But they're, they're sort of aligned, right? WPT and Party Poker. So kind of nice to uh, – bounce back and forth and have a good relationship with that. But tell me what that meant to you to win a WPT as calling the action for 15 plus years. You got a couple final tables, a lot of caches, but how important was that to you to actually have a world poker tour title? You know, it, it meant so much to me. I just can't even tell you. I never thought I would ever receive more joy than I did when I won my first world series of poker bracelet. I thought right. nothing could ever top that, but honestly winning the WPT topped it for me. And the reason is because I so desperately wanted to get in the WPT Tournament of Champions. And to do that, you got to be a member of the Champions Club. Now, you have to remember, for the first seven, eight years, Vince and I weren't allowed to play any events on the World Poker Tour. Right. So I saw all these guys playing, winning millions of dollars. You know, I mean, I love my job. I had the best job in the poker world for 15 years, for sure. But then, after seven, eight years, they said we could play in the events if we wanted to. So I started playing in some, and then uh, obviously uh, in Montreal, everything fell my way. 
I ended up winning the title. And it meant so much to me because I could feel how much the staff was pulling for me. I could feel how much the uh, the crew and, and uh, everybody at World Poker Tour and everybody in the poker world actually uh, wanted me to win this because – and for me, because I started the original Tournament of Champions and then I won the WSOP Tournament of Champions in 2006, it would be like the trifecta if I got to play in the WPT Tournament of Champions. So that's, to me, why it was so exciting to win that event and, and to become a WPT champion. It, it just meant the world to me, and, uh, you know, everything ran – I ran so well in that tournament and obviously uh, ended up pulling off the win. And I just can't describe uh, what it meant to me. So emotional. Yeah, no, I was, I was awesome. I, I was, the, you know, I was, like I said, I was there. We got that, put that picture up just now today. Great yeah. memory. I see how that smile on your face. You can't, you can't wipe that smile. And it's hard because it's, it's hard to win. You know, it's seconds, thirds, you look at the times and you're right there. And that, that was a battle. I remember that heads up, tough opponent. You were back and forth. And, you know, it's like, it's like that Talladega, the, the Ricky Bobby, if you're not first, you're last. You know, it's, it's great. The money's great. It's all fun getting a, a, a podium finish, but really, you know, getting that trophy, getting that stamp, you just don't know. It's like the Super Bowl, right? You don't know when you get there. You, you don't just get to come back. You don't get to just be heads up for a bracelet. It seems such an insurmountable field, 600-something people, 1,000 people, however many are in these, but then you get down to two, three, four, five players, and it's like a real percent. You got a real chance, but it doesn't, you know, it could be a, it could be never. It could be in 10 years, five years. You know, Phil Ivey was a – the final table in the World Poker Tour nine times before he won. You know, I was at a WPT final table. I made four of them. Yeah. You know, they're not easy to win, even when you get there. And, uh, you know, yeah, they, the wins, I don't care who you are, how great a player you are, they're so few and far between. And you just really got to love the moment when it happens and enjoy it because I can tell you they don't come that often, you know. Yeah, and, and you look at Phil Helmuth, who's got the most bracelets, 15 now. He he, he got second, I know, like a year or two ago in the WPT, I think, in L.A., and he hasn't won a World Poker Tour. And this is the, maybe the best tournament player, they say, or, you know, the best results in the world, and, and he doesn't have one. So it's not it's not just like you play, you're going to get them. They're, they are hard. So, yeah, nice to you to get it. I've been close. I want one. I'm going to – in the COVID times, the, who knows when they'll be able to, to, to happen for the live stuff. You know, it's a, it's a crazy time, but – WPT and party do have something pretty special coming up starting July 17th. I'm very curious on your take on this because there will be a chance to win World Poker Tour titles to get your name on that trophy. I see you got that trophy in the background there to get etched in stone on the main one. What are your thoughts on the the hybrid, the, the live, the online, the World Poker Tour, putting their events online, COVID times or not? What do you think about being called a champion of a World Poker Tour uh, by, by playing via online. Yeah, I think it's great for the World Poker Tour. I think it's very smart of them. You know, they've never entered the online market, you know, over the years. And uh, now they're partnered with Party Poker. We've started qualifying players for their events outside the U.S. a couple of years ago. That went very well. They were happy with that. We just recently, about a month or so ago, put on the first ever WPT online event. It smashed all the guarantees. It was fantastic. And now we've got this... Uh, world online uh, poker championship coming up as you said in july and it's set up like a real live event like you really went to a live event you know the structure is exactly the same you know you have a lot of playing time and uh, it's going to be fantastic and i think there's 12 championship events five of them you're going to win seats into the wpt tournament champions so right. those are huge and uh the money's going to be big 100 million guaranteed now 
the main event's a 10,000 buy-in with 10 million guaranteed prize pool. Now, there's not many events in the world that have a 10 million guaranteed prize pool. Very few events have a $10 million prize pool in the world. And uh, so it's pretty impressive that, uh, uh, you know, Rob Young sticks his neck out there for these guarantees and the poker world should just embrace him, whether it's a live event, whether it's online, you know, he's taking the shot and the risk, you know, where he literally lose millions if it fell short sometime, you know, and, yeah. and uh, boy, you know, what he's done for poker in the last few years is just beyond anything anybody else has done. And the guy's remarkable, and I think players respect it. And I think, uh, you know, party poker uh, is coming back. And obviously, the WPT brand is just tremendous. We've seen it in their events online already so far. And hopefully, we see a huge turnout coming up for this giant event that they have. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's super exciting. And obviously, with the COVID as well, at these times, like going to casinos and, and what's happening, it's a little bit uncertain. So it is really nice to have a powerful brand two powerful brands align. And I, and like you said about Rob, I don't want to, you know, I work, I'm a brand ambassador for party. I can't say enough positive things. I've been in poker a long time. Obviously you've been around for, um, since really, I mean, poker, since it was on the map, you've, you've been playing the game uh, and you've been with party. I mean, you were, can let's, let's date back a little bit here. Cause I think these are, uh, the wild times. I think so many people know that you're you're associated with Stu Unger. I mean, you've got some of probably the best stories in the world. We don't have time to do all the stories, but I mean, could you give us a little bit of a, a you actually named Party Poker or were a part of that? I mean, I know you were there at the very beginning and I think it's just fascinating to see how it's progressed and gone the ups and downs and, and, and sort of the crazier times. Maybe we could talk a little bit about uh, the early times and how you got originally into party poker and what your role was at that time. Cause to me, that's, it's just as cool as it gets. Well, that was a whirlwind. Honestly, I was playing in the, uh, the poker championships, U S poker championships in Atlantic city in December of 2000. And I got a phone call from a guy who said, uh, you know, some people are going to start an online site. They're looking for a poker domain expert. And I think you're perfect for the job. Uh, are you hooked up with the site? And I said, no. So I was flying back to Vegas the next day. Two days later, I met a lady named Ruth Parasol at Bellagio at the piano bar in Bellagio. And she said, bring your resume and all this and that. So I brought it. She shoved it all aside and she looked at me and she said, if we hire you, can you be in India in 10 days time? That's where our software developers are. And you have to go there for months. Then you're going to have to go to the Dominican Republican for months. And if you can't do any of that, there's no sense talking anymore. I was single at the time. I said, if you hire me, I can go. I said, but what is the job? <laughs> and uh, she said, you'll be our poker domain expert. Everything poker will go through you. And uh, so anyway, I ended up making a deal. And a week later, I was in India, uh, went to Hybridad, India, where the software team was located. Now, at this particular time, this company had already been in the online gaming business since 1997. Now, this was January of 2001. Okay. So they had sites already that were out there in blackjack and slots and all these things. And so they already had banking established, affiliates established, things that were just far, far above anybody who was just starting out a new site. I mean, it was so important to have all those things. And they just heard poker was going to be the next thing. So they were just going to make poker just one little branch of their business. Right. Never thought it was going to be the mainstay that it was, of course. And so next thing you know, uh, I met the five guys that were assigned to the poker team. 
that we're going to develop the site. And I told Ruth and I told these guys as soon as I got there, I said, look, I know poker, but I don't know anything about computers. I know nothing about software. They said, don't worry about it. You tell us what to do, we can do it. I said, well, I can do that. <laughs> and I said, what's the name of the site? They said, well, we've got like six domain names. They're locked up. And they brought them out to me. And I looked at it. And Party Poker was on there, and I said, Party Poker, it's a slam dunk. Yeah. And nobody in the company wanted that name except for me. And because at that time, there was Planet Hollywood, there was uh, uh, Paradise Poker, uh, Poker Stars, everything was peas. So they didn't know if they really wanted to peas, you know, kind of thing. I said, I'm telling you, it's a fun name. It's easy to remember. It's a slam dunk. Forget about it. And that was it. And, uh, that's amazing. That, that, that's a crazy, I mean, that's, so you didn't come up with it, but you actually, I mean, if it wasn't for you, it wouldn't have been that. Cause the other group didn't want to do it. So I, I, I say we got, we got to give you the credit for that, man. That's, that's a, yeah. that's a big decision you got through. Do you remember any of the other names? What were they considering? So they didn't like, yeah, it. I'm so mad. I didn't write them all down. Cause I wish I had them now for yeah. history reason, but I can't even remember them. Cause that one just jumped off the page of me well, so much that, uh, well, you know what that means? They, they couldn't have been that good. Other names couldn't have been that that special. At that so. time, the company's name was iGlobal Media. Yep. And you know, like, I remember. Later, I got to yeah. interrupt you. Speaking of affiliates, because in my 2004, I was a freshman in college, and I remember I signed up for an affiliate at Party Poker. That's where I first started playing. I got some player-to-player transfer funds in high school. Was playing on there, but that that affiliate program is basically what kept me in poker because I was going around, you were on the card. They had these affiliate cards. You were the face that I had all these. And I was going signing up everyone in my dorm rooms. I went to university of South Carolina and I must've signed up. I don't know four or 500 people. A lot of them didn't continue playing, but they had these bonuses where they would send me an email. It was iGlobal Media. I remember the whole thing. The, and, and they would say to me, if you sign up 10 more than the month before, we'll give you like a 2K bonus. And at one point I was, you know, I was getting like six, $7,000 a month in college, my freshman year for just signing up people, not playing. And then I, there was a sub affiliate business of it where you got 20%. I had my roommates doing that. I funded it. Like that, it was like a whole business thing. And that, you're right. iGlobal Media party poker. I mean, that's where it all started for me. I mean, that, that, and, and to your point, they were ahead of the curve, right? They were the ones doing this. Oh, they had it worked okay, out. Okay, or, so you may not know our business partners of the company where if you send a player, you know, you can get start out at 20% of his revenue, what he drops in the, in the drop, you get 20% of that. And then it goes up if you get more customers up to like 35%. So uh, affiliates can make so much money. It's unbelievable if they know what they're doing. And uh, a Tony G, believe it or not, was an early affiliate for Party Poker. And he started Poker News. And, and he made so much money. It's just mind-boggling, as did Card Player Cruises, as did so many people. You know, we had a kid at the University of Illinois yeah. that started out signing people up. And he was ended up making 50000 a month before he got out of college. It was unbelievable, you know. Yeah. And, and that's how much they could make back then if they, if they knew what they were doing and signed people up. And, and uh you know, but it was just a, a different time, a different era. But uh, affiliates did very well with us, for sure. How was how was the experience going to India? Because uh, I was I was going to go to Goa. I haven't been yet. You know, I'm just trying to think of India now, which is still a third world country and, and you know, different. But it must have been crazy then, too, in the technology, right? The computers they were using this stuff. I mean, it has to be crazy to think about. Like, now what they have in the nice, sleek monitors and nice computers versus, like, the old school and the original party poker software. What was it like going there? And, and, and what type of facilities did they have in the area you were? 
it's a life-changing experience. Let me just tell you that. And uh, when I flew in there, I flew into Singapore first and then to Calcutta. Now, Singapore is like the nicest airport in the world. You can literally eat off the floor in that airport. Yep. And you get to Calcutta, and it's like the worst airport in the world. And it's so crowded, and there's so many people. And it just blew my mind. And you have to take a bus from one airport to the other airport to fly into Hyberdad. And as you're on this bus, it's jam-packed with people. You, you can't even move. Suitcases stacked to the ceiling. But you look out the window, and you see literally families living in cardboard boxes, you know, on the sidewalks, people peeing in the street. It's just the most mind-blowing thing you've ever seen. It's, it's so poverty-stricken that it's just sad. And even Hyberdad, which is a, like a tech center of India, but it's still so many people and sad. And, you know, every time you pull up to any stoplight, they're out there trying to wash your windows and yeah. beg for money. And, uh, you know, it's just a different experience. And, and uh, you know, so it, it was, you know. What, what, what was your – when you went there, though, were you – when you landed, did you kind of know what to expect? Were you excited? Was this like, wow, this is going to be groundbreaking? Or were you just kind of like, this is different. I'm going to try it out. I think this could be good. Or did you know, like, you were in the right place with party poker – or, well, with this unknown poker development? Did you feel like this was had a shot? Or did you like, this is going to be big? Well, I mean, I didn't know. And, you know, we had to get it off the ground. And it, and it was tough. And, uh, you know, we started uh, developing the software – I mean, these guys, these software guys, they worked around the clock in that company. I mean, they worked 16 hours a day. They'd be, they'd been arrested in any other country for, for slave labor or something, the way they work. But in this particular software company that uh, Anurag ran, they were making like twice as much as, three times as much as the average guy in India. So nobody complained about the workload. And, and uh, they just worked till the job got done. But they would literally be at their computers. And then when they got tired, it was a cement floor. They'd roll up her jacket. They'd lay down, put their head on the on the on the jacket, lay down a couple hours, get back up, and start working again. I mean that that's how hard it was and how dedicated they were. And uh, it was amazing uh, experience. And uh, they did a terrific job. And I was there for about four months, and then I had to go to the Dominican Republic, which is where the company's uh, customer support was located at that time, and headquarters. And uh, I had to train those people in poker because nobody knew anything about it. And then we launched the site on August 1st, of 2001. And, you know, we launched it with just one table satellites for the Party Poker Million, which is the way I convinced them that's how we got to get traffic to the site. And they went for it, and uh, the Party Poker Million was a smash hit in terms of bringing really appreciation to our site and an awareness to our site. And uh, it just worked out fantastic. We just grew from there. Then we advertised on television uh, a year later and multiplied our business by 10 after we did that and never looked back. Became by far the number one largest site in the world. Now, today, people don't know that, but you look back at 2005, 2006, I mean, we were the king bee. As one analyst said, we were the Coca-Cola of online poker. Oh, yeah. I, I remember being in college and there was something that year, I think, called the Monster. They were doing this big, I think it was like a 20 million guarantee or some yeah, crazy yeah. thing. And it was winning these steps and these tickets for it. And I, I mean, it was just, it was, it was going so, it was going so fast. It was so big. And I didn't even play on full till their poker stars uh, until I think it was, yeah, something, no, October, November, or September of 2006, they it shut down and there was a big decision. This is when, uh, because it's a publicly traded company, 
on the London Stock Exchange, they had to make the decision to stop, even though they could have kept going, I guess, technically it was gray. And that's where Full Tilt and Stars really pushed the pedal to the floor. What was this like for you? What happened when this time happened and then and you had to step it they had to turn it off? So crushing, such a crushing blow, I can't even tell you. And, uh, you know, the year before, in 2005, they went public. And then it got to 2006, and that was just a massive year for us because we qualified like 2,000 players for the main event of the World Series of Poker. Right. We put all the branding on the tabletops, paid $20 million for that, paid $2 million just to put the branding on the steps going up into the building. Wow. And Party Poker sponsored the WSOP Tournament of Champions. They had one exemption, so I got the exemption to play in the tournament and end up winning it. And it was so huge, and then, boom, on September 29th, they passed UIGEA, and a week later, uh, you know, within 24 hours after that passed, uh, Party Poker stock went down 60% uh, because they were saying it was illegal not to play online poker, but it was illegal to fund online gaming sites in the U.S. So uh, the, the problem was the four main owners of Party Poker had all become billionaires with a B, and their lawyers told them, look, we don't think you're doing anything illegal, but... If it's deemed that you are, your shareholders can sue you. You can lose back the billions that you've already made. So they recommended highly that they uh, leave the U.S. market. And so that's what happened. But at that time, we were making over $2 million a day in cash. And that's a tough business to lose, you know. So that's such a, it's just, I mean, I I think it's so speaking to India, the Buddhist like kind of mindset, nothing is permanent. Everything changes. Like it just, you just don't know. And and even nowadays it seems like there's always step forward for online. And then there's three steps back, two steps forward. You know, is it going to come back in the U S you see state by state happening, but then there's this wire acts and it's just always, it's so complicated and it just so many moving parts and gaming. Uh, I just, it's just crazy to think about that. I mean, that must've been, like so that was that pretty much overnight that you heard that or did you were you guys getting yeah, preparation everybody totally brutal and then you know at that time 75% of our business was US customers so now you know you lose all the games you lose all that so of course companies that weren't uh, publicly traded like full tilt like poker stars uh, they remained in the US and obviously our customers are going to keep playing so they went over and played there and they lasted five more years until April 15th of 2011, and the government shut them down. So everybody calls that their Black Friday, but our Black Friday was five years earlier. But and, uh, and it was a very sad time for everybody. And, you know, it, it just don't even get me started on that, how irritating it makes me that you can go to a casino all day and play poker. Then you can't even go back to your own house and play. And, uh, uh, you know, the land of the free and all that, it's crazy to me that uh, – the government dictates what you can do in your free time with your money. And it just is aggravating. So yeah. hopefully uh, it's going to come back. I think it is. It's moving in that direction. And uh, uh, when that happens, uh, you'll see another big boom in poker when the whole U.S. market comes back again. Won't be like the first time around, but it'll be very, very good for the entire online industry. Yeah. And, and what, what is you're you're on the, the very ends of, of what's, you know, in terms of being, I would say consulted. You're 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 on the know of what's going on. Also, I I like to think I know a lot. You know, I try to keep up with everything, and and I hear what's happening. What is your intuition? What do you think is the realistic case for poker in the U.S.? Because sports passed at a federal level, uh, and now state by state has decisions. We saw Michigan passed. Pennsylvania actually last year passed. I think already Stars is operating. 
party poker likely to follow? I know Nevada, you know, it's legal for U.S. states. So there's New Jersey, Nevada, uh, West Virginia, and Delaware, and now Pennsylvania, Michigan come. I think Illinois and New York are being talked about. What to you, where's the tipping point where this becomes a, a big deal? And, and do you see this happening? Do you think that we're going to see California? Well, I do, but I think the first step is going to be, you know, party poker's license in New Jersey. Yeah, of course, as you know, we're also licensed in Nevada. But until they pass laws where you can play with people in other states where it's licensed, you know, where you get a lot more games and, and it's a lot more worthwhile, uh, you know, then that's when party poker will come into the states, uh, you know, once that happens. Because honestly, for them to open up a completely separate division for Nevada, it's not a big state. It wouldn't be money making. And it's just not worth it to them, to be honest with you. But, right. you know, once they start licensing these other states, and if they pass a law where if all states can play on the same platform, uh, then you're going to see online gaming come back in a big way in the U.S. And I think other states will come on board as well because, uh, you know, players want to play and states need money and the federal government needs money. That's just crazy to me. That, uh, you need the liquidity, happen. right? You got to have the guarantees. Exactly. You can't have Nevada with a 10K guarantee as their highlight event. And you, you want to have everyone come together. And I, honestly, with the COVID, you know, I, I would imagine that it, it can't hurt in terms of states sort of looking at this. First of all, they need more revenue. Also seeing that, you know, there is a, there is opportunities where there's, there's some risks or, or casino businesses may look at this like, wow, like we weren't prepared or we could have been operating and making money. Uh, I know Sheldon Adelson, a big, um, opponent, you know, really putting a, a stick in everything and, and what he's done, uh, just kind of where he's like lobbied and, and come from. But it does seem promising. I do think there will be will be moving forward. I mean, the fact that you can play fantasy football, and like you said, there's so many other, you know, how can you do this or how can you justify that when poker is more horse of a racing? Yeah. It's legends in every state. You can bet horse racing, and that's because the government's cut in. You know, yeah. they get a big piece of the action, 20%, and, uh, uh, boom, horse racing is okay everywhere. Yeah, there's actually legal slots now, too. Actually, they tied a horse racing called B-Spot. I don't know if you heard of this company, but they actually have legal slots. Uh, I think they actually they have a partnership with WPT as well for like a skin on the games. But yeah, it's just, I mean, it just seems, it seems silly. It's archaic. And it's it's critical that it's sickening to me that you can do horse racing and you can do some fantasy football and all this, and yet you can't do play online poker. It's just crazy to me. But, it's it's backwards. It's definitely backwards. Well, uh, the the uh, I want to take a look at your career, Mike, as well, because we go back and I mean, you're I swear every guest, maybe ninety seven percent, their first ever live hen and mob tournament result is a is a final table, and yours is no different. You actually. I mean, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen, maybe. I think your first, uh, however many that is, that's like you, you final table every time. No wonder you started playing tournament poker. I mean, look at this. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 30, 40. Almost 20 in a row. I mean, even after one non-final table. this is Mike, is this even real? Is this a fabricated account? What's happening? You just final table every tournament for a long time. I guess they were smaller fields, but uh, tell yeah, me. We, we didn't have thousands of players back in the day. Yeah, still, that's kind of crazy. I mean, I guess I guess it's either you cash or you don't in some of these like smaller entries. But what was it like playing tournament poker? How did you start playing tournaments? Opposed funny, to honestly, I was living in North Carolina at the time and just playing at home games in North Carolina, loving it. And I had good friends, Danny Robinson, who I grew up with in Dayton, Ohio, who taught me how to play poker, who partnered with Chip Reese. And they came to Las Vegas in like the summer of 73 or so. And in four months' time, turned a thousand dollar bankroll into a million dollars. And 
yeah, it was just amazing. They became the Gold Dust Twins. And Danny was always saying, come to, come on out to Vegas, come on out to Vegas. Well, after I got divorced and, and so 1977 was the first time I ever came to Vegas. I stayed with those guys. And, you know, I was playing poker out there in Vegas periodically, but I still live in North Carolina. But I could never play the World Series because back then the World Series was in April and May. And I was an avid Little League baseball coach at the time. Nothing in the world was more fun to me than doing that. And, our, you know, we started practicing in April and our season started in May. So I could never go to the World Series of Poker. Right. And uh, I said, you know, I'm playing poker. I always wanted to go. So I finally took a week off and went to the World Series of Poker for the first time in 1984. Okay. Now, back then, they only had one tournament every other day. So in a week's time, there's three tournaments, you know. And they played down to the final table on the first day. And then the final play, table played on day two, but there was no other tournament. Okay. And then the day another tournament came in. So I could play three tournaments in a week. And I made two final tables. And it literally changed my life. And I said, you know, I'm never going to miss another World Series of Poker. And so I decided in January of 85, I moved to Las Vegas and been there ever since. But uh, I always wonder, had I not done well in that first World Series, would I have ever moved to Vegas? You know, what my life changed? What would I be doing? You know, kind of thing. And yeah. it's just so funny how life is just life's a gamble. And, and you just take a chance on things like uh, moving to Las Vegas to become a professional poker player, uh, taking a job at party poker where I had to move to India you know, in a week's time and completely change your life. And, you know, just little things like that literally change your life forever. Yeah, it's, and, like it's the butterfly effect. There's just like a moment or a decision or a chance or an opportunity, and it can really shape everything. It's crazy. I mean, I tell you the story with Rob Young. I was playing in a private cash game, and and a week before I was I was re-signing most likely with Poker Stars, and I lost one of the biggest cash game pots of my life. Rob only runs it once. I had aces. He had kings. He made quads. And then I got to play the next day because I lost in this, this private game. I got to come back. I brought a couple guys, and we talked. The next thing you know, move over. But it's just like it's a split second or it's an oppor- it's a thing or you just don't know. You're always on interview. There's always an opportunity, and something that may not seem like something that serious could, be, could really shape the trajectory of your life. I mean, it's, it's, to me, the, it's just fascinating that you were with Party from basically day one and, and basically kind of you know, oversaw and built. Because they say it's, a, it's like a race car driver, right? The race car driver is really the engineer. You know, even though you get a guy who gets in the car, you, you have some very you know, mechanical and, and engineers that are making the race car. But when they go to a race car driver, they say, what do you need? What, how does it work? What makes it accessible? And that's what you basically were providing. Is that correct for party poker? I mean, they, they didn't know, like, what's a big line? What's an ante? How, how long should the structure be? These are things they, they, they may be able to program it, but without someone to kind of guide them and walk them through, it's useless. So they, they, they basically needed your, you, to, you to, to set that. Is that. I mean, that's essentially what you were doing? You were saying this is how it works? You know, had I not thought of the Party Poker Million, had I not bought Crowd Player Cruises on board, that's who hosted our our Party Poker Million, uh, and Card Player Cruises became a big affiliate of ours, and they had a database of over 3,000 poker players from their cruise business for years. And without them and their support, who knows if we'd ever got off the ground or how big it would have been. And, and uh, there's just certain things that just made it all happen. You know, it was the perfect business at the perfect time in history, you know, it all just pulled together perfectly. And it's all about timing, to be honest with you. It's just like if you meet a wife in a bar, you decide to go at the last second. Had you not gone, you'd have never met her. You'd never got married. I mean, 
who, who, I mean, it's just weird how life works, you know? And like you said, uh, uh, you end up switching sites because you talked to Rob. I never thought I'd leave the World Poker Tour, you know, because it was the greatest job in poker. Right. And when I was over in England, uh, Rob said, we'd like to talk to you, me and Tom. Tom Waters, the CEO of Party Poker. Yep. And he sat me down. And in five minutes' time, five minutes, you know, Rob made a deal with me that I just couldn't pass up. It was, you know, and so it was just that quick. And, uh, you know, the next day I called uh, Adam Pliska, the World Poker Tour, and I said, Adam, I won't be back for season 16. I just got an offer I couldn't refuse. And and uh, I said, I, I hate to leave the World Poker Tour, but, you know, this is just something for my family and myself I can't turn down. And, and he said, Mike, he, could, he couldn't have been more understanding. This guy is the greatest boss in the world. Adam Pliska was fantastic. And he said, you know, I'm just very sad for the World Poker Tour, but I'm sincerely happy for you. And he really was, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and obviously I was thrilled to death when we started qualifying players for the World Poker Tour uh, a year or two later. And now we've merged with them and partnered with them and putting on their events online. And I just love it because I still love both companies tremendously. And uh, I'm just thrilled we're working together now. Yeah, that's that's that is really cool. Could you maybe talk a little bit more about because I think at one point the same there was the same parent company or Tencent or uh, what is the actual relationship or, or sort of history with WPT and Party Poker? Because they're always sort of seem aligned or, or at different times have done you know a sort of color sure. brand. So what what is that? How does that work? Yeah, yeah, they've been aligned and we actually own Party or the World Poker Tour for a period of time, you know, and then they sold off to. Uh, a company in China, and now they've resold back again. I think Lyle Berman then bought it back again, took it public again, and, uh, you know, it's been in big circles, and uh, it's had like four owners over the years, And uh, but they went public, uh, you know, and, and did well there, and, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, the World Poker Tours had like four owners, and party and B-Win Poker, I think, at the time, B-Win uh, was our brand owner at the time, and, and uh uh, you know, now obviously GVC uh, owns us and, and uh, you know, but it's been an interesting ride for both Party Poker, in fact, and for the World Poker Tour in terms of changing and evolving over the years. For sure. And and uh, I want to ask you about uh, the early days, too, with, with Stu Unger, because you know, he was obviously – a legend of the game, just sort of, you know, this was before a lot of footage. There was, you know, some, some of him winning the main event. I don't know if they had whole cards or, or not, I forget, but the just Stu Unger is, was very close. I think you were Paul Bear as well. And, and, you know, just super close with him. What, give us a, give me a Stu Unger, a Stu Unger story and also how you kind of got to know him. Well, I got to know Stewie because when I was in Las Vegas in the late seventies, I stayed with Chip and Danny and, and they were high stakes players. And so, because I was good friends with them, I got accepted into the high stakes community, which you can't do unless you play those games, you know. But really, all the high stakes players, every one of them, from uh, Doyle and Puggy Pearson and uh, uh, Sarge and, and just all the high stakes players embraced me because I was so close with Chip and Danny. So Stewie came to town. And when he came to Las Vegas, it wasn't to play poker. It was to play gin rummy against all those guys because every top poker player back in the day played Jen Rummy. And, and in those days, the poker rooms were owned, like Johnny Moss ran the Dunes poker room, for example. And then Chip Reese took it over a couple of years later. But somebody owned the Stardust poker room. And, and individually, the casinos didn't run poker rooms back then. And so they could do what they wanted in the room. So what happened before game poker game started, guys were playing turnover or Jen Rummy on the side tables. So everybody played. 
Right. So Stewie came out there and started playing all the poker players, and he just mowed them down. He just beat them all. And then he started spotting them where they could look at the bottom card on the deck. He put them on three games at a time. It didn't matter what he spotted. I mean, he beat them all. Finally, they wouldn't play with him anymore, you know. And then he had to start playing poker. He started playing two and 400. That was the highest game then, or maybe three and 600. And uh, That was limit. Know, he just jumped right in the biggest games right off the bat. Is that is that limit or no limit? It was all limit back then. Limit, yeah. It was all limit back then except for deuce to seven, no limit, which is the big game that they played sometimes. But everything was limit poker back in the day. Before the World Poker Tour came around, which was in 2002, everything was limit poker. And everywhere you went, it was all limit poker. And you, I see here in 1984, the, it was obviously other games going too, but Pot Limit Omaha, I didn't realize, I thought PLO was a game of like the late two, like 2000s it got, I didn't realize there was Pot Limit Omaha. Was this, was this PLO? That was the very first year of Pot Limit Omaha at the World Series of Poker. It was 1984. The very first year. Okay. You know, and uh, I finished fifth. I could have won it. I lost it, such a giant pot five-handed. I didn't sleep. I still don't sleep over it sometimes for years <laughs> thinking about it. How Tom McAvoy, who was the reigning world champion of poker, uh, beat me in this pot. And uh, it, it just uh, was just a horrible nightmare for me. And uh, But I actually had a shot to win a bracelet in that event. I feel like I could have very easily, but didn't happen. And, uh, you know, but uh, it was the very first time they had pot lemon Omaha at the World Series of Poker. So I did make that final table. So that was pretty good. How has the game changed now? You see PLO and, and then, I mean, I guess like no limit, but what would you say? I mean, it was relatively new and there's really no information at all, right? Like solvers or this or that. So what was it like? Like play, were people playing, what, what, what separated, do you think, the best players at that point? Just sort of being able to, was it really reading people? Was it just kind of maybe being a little more aggressive than some of the other players willing to be? Like, I do really think being aggressive was more, just like no limit Oldham. Like Stewie was the most aggressive player back in the day. You know, now he... He probably wouldn't be as aggressive as some players we have out there today and, uh, you know, over the years. But uh, back then, you know, he was the most aggressive player and it obviously paid off for him. You know, I can remember back in the day when you played the World Series of Poker, you only started with 10,000 in chips. Yeah. And it started at 25, 50 blinds, then went 50 and 100. And these were two-hour levels. And then went one and 200. And then it wasn't until the last two hours of the day on day one where they started putting an ante in and it was one or 200 with a $25 ante. And it was torture for Stewie to last those first six hours, you know, to get to where the ante started because he liked money in the pot. But once the ante started, if you came by his table 20 minutes later, he had every green chip on the table. He just robbed the ante's blind every single time. And yeah. he just had all the green chips because he just kept stealing those pots, you know, and it was funny to watch. And uh, uh, the guy was an icon and you he wanted two hunger stories. You know, I'll tell you, you know, everybody knows a lot of stories. There's a lot of them in the book about him. But I had to look it up on the Hendon Mob just because before this interview, because I knew I got to thinking, you know, did Stewie ever lose a heads up match? And it turns out the five or ten thousand dollar buy-in no limit championship events in history, he never lost once. He never came second one time in a big buy-in no limit hold'em tournament. His record with 16 wins in his career, and he had three losses, or three second, not losses, second-place finishes. Wow. Two of those second-place finishes came in limit, seven-card stud. The only no-limit hold'em tournament he lost was the smallest buy-in. He played the 2,500. It was a main event at the Union Plaza once, and he finished second in that event, and he finished second to T.J. Cloutier, 
who from the mid-'80s up to 2000 was the number one tournament player in the world. And uh, other than that, he won every single time when he played heads up. I don't think anybody in the world ever has a track record like that or ever will have. And, uh, you know, when, when I hear, you know, why he's the greatest player in my mind, that's a pretty good reason right there to start with. But, uh, you know, I saw him play gin. I saw him play poker. And I saw I could read people. It, it's just mind-boggling to me just how great the guy was. And, and I truly believe that he lasted until the World Poker Tour would have came around that he not only would have been the top player on the World Poker Tour, he'd have been so far ahead of whoever was in second place, it wouldn't even be funny because he shined in the limelight. He loved being at the final table. He loved playing heads up for these titles. He won every time. He wow. loved getting patted on the back, told how great he was. That, that's that's great. I realized back then when he played, he only had one $10,000 buy-in event a year. That was the main event of the World Series of Poker. Right. Then you had Amarillo Slim's tournament up in Lake Tahoe. That's the only big tournament they had back then. When they had a ten thousand buying in that, he won that three times incidentally. And uh, but other than that, there weren't any big events. That's so, pretty amazing. He he won the last. So the last recorded tournament for his career, he gets the million dollar for third, and that was our first. And that was his. That was the main event, main WSOP World Champion. He and he won three times. Correct. He won back to back, and then he won. He won the first time times he ever played it and the last time he ever played it. Man, that's just – uh, it's pretty – you know, even with all his success, he was so high on cocaine for a 20-year period that it isn't even funny, you know. And you just wonder, had he not gotten involved with drugs? Had he, had he used his talent? Had he been around? You know, you have to realize how depressing it was back in the day for everybody, not just Stewie, when you got knocked out of the main event. It was just – oh. You suffered for weeks. It was just torture because you knew it was going to be another year before you could play it again. Right. Nowadays, you got 25,000, 50,000, 100,000 big buying events every other week somewhere, you know? Yeah. And there's something to play. So even if you get knocked out of the main event, you're sad, but it's only just for a couple hours because right. you know the big event's coming up right around the corner. Yeah. And, you know, that makes a big difference. Had Stewie been around when all these big events were going, I don't believe he'd have needed drugs. He'd have got high on the poker. He'd have dominated. I don't care how great these players are. I just believe he'd have been the best. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see. I know as a whole, they're so much better nowadays, but uh, they'd have their hands full with Stewie, I can tell you that. Yeah, that's uh, no, he's for sure a legend of the game. Just some absolute, uh, I can't imagine. It must have been fun, too. Just but those times back in Vegas in the, the 70s, 80s, they must have been, must have oh. been wild, man, especially like poker's new. It's fun. It's, fr- it's flashy. It's fresh. And it's, uh, I, I just, I, I'm sure you got, you got a lot of great memories and, and stories. Uh, what, tell me about being a father and what that, how that is with poker. Cause I have a 14 month old son. Uh, you have, how many children do you have? Three or? I have one. Just oh, one, eleven-year-old. Ah, you know, I played. I think with the, your your uh, someone else in poker. Is it your uh, nephew? Or nephew that's right. That's why I get confused. I remember playing with them. I, back in the day, I would play. I, I remember playing sometimes. Is it Keith or is that? Or that's your uh, brother. Keith is not related to me, but he's a great poker player, and he's from Dayton, Ohio, where I'm from. Oh, that's see. All right, well, that's confusing. That's pretty. Yeah, he's a sports better, did fantastic, and he's a great seven-card stud player. Okay. And, uh, you All know, right. he, but uh, yeah, he had That's a lot of money. Up, I always wish he adopted me back in the day because he had so much money, you know. So <laughs> tell, tell, tell me about tell me about what being a father 
uh, is and, and with poker and how you kind of uh, just give me some of your experiences with that, how that changed what you were doing and how much you were playing or, you know, what any advice you would give to a new father who's uh, who's playing poker. Because one of the things about poker, it's great. You have freedom, right? That's one of the best things I think it's safe to say. You would say the same. You got the trouble. Okay. I believe you choose going into poker because it gives you the freedom to do what you want when you want to. If you yeah. don't feel like going to work today, you don't have to. If you go to work and all of a sudden after an hour you want to go to a movie, you can get them to go to a movie. You know, so that's the beauty of the game is the freedom that it gives you, in my opinion. Now, you know, obviously poker is no different than anything else, you know, and I don't care what level you play. If you play a higher level, you know, you still got to play the same number of hours. You live a higher, you know, life and cost of living kind of thing. But the truth is you got to put your hours in. And most poker players I know put in way more than 40 hours a week, you know, when they're playing poker. And uh, so it's not easy. It's way tougher now than it used to be when I came up. I can tell you that. And there's so many great players out there today that's just scary. And uh, honestly, you know, when guys come up to me and, uh, you know, want to become a professional poker player, you know, I hope that they're single first because I say when you're young and you're single, that's the time to go for it because honestly – if you bust out, knowing that you can always get a job, you know, but if you try to go into poker after you've got two kids, a house and a mortgage and all that pressure on you, it's just way, way different. And it's much tougher, I think. And uh, you have obligations at home where you have to quit games and do these things. And, you know, it's just much more difficult to do it that way. And I know some guys want to do it because even then they want to go for the dream, you know, what they love to do. And I understand it, but I also understand it's a lot more pressure when you have kids and, and a mortgage and a yeah. responsibility like that. I like how you word that a lot. And I mean, obviously it's as you're a brand ambassador for party poker, I am as well. It's a, it's a bit tricky because you, you know, we're promoting poker. We're promoting. I always like to say too, it's about, I say it's not a hobby for me, you know, now for it, it's my craft, it's my profession. But with that being said, it is important, like you said. It's very different. When I started, I was 17, 18, 16, playing with friends. Started playing. I, I'm single. I don't have responsibilities. I start with very little. If you're like 30, 40, 50, you're starting, you have a you have mortgage, you have a responsibility, you have stuff, and now you hop into a game. Maybe you're playing too big, too. You don't learn bankroll management. You don't learn about going broke or, or sort of what it takes. So it's like it's, it's different if you're risking a large amount or you, you put at stake something, whereas starting with really not. So I like the way you explain that. And it is important to, to know. And also yourself, myself, we have supplemental incomes, whether we're sponsored or you have affiliate programs, or there's other ways to sort of hedge because poker, it is a hard way to make easy living, but it's tough. There's times you go in tournaments, especially you go through patches where you don't cash for a while. You don't get a win. You know, you take bad beats. You maybe not playing your best. You're tired. So there's a lot of things that can kind of happen. Uh, and, and you want to be hedged, right? You don't want to just have it risk everything or put too much on the line and, and cause yourself uh, uh, some, some pain. So um, Look, I, I played 25 years without a paycheck, literally just played poker for a living. But once I started getting paychecks from party poker and the world poker tour, I said, boy, give me those paychecks. You know, it is, it's just uh, a way nicer. It, it, you know, there's no stress, you know, you're going to be able to pay the bills and uh, it's just a beautiful thing. And as you said, when you get a kid, your entire life changes completely. I mean, Wow, your responsibility, the time it takes that you have to dedicate to that. And it's just life-changing completely. It's the greatest life change in the history of the world. You know, it's the most beautiful thing ever. And I was very fortunate because I had my son when I was 60 years old. And 
to start to have your first kid then is just such a blessing. And I'm so grateful for it that, uh, you know, I, I can't even tell you just how super it is for me. But, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, if you're young and have kids, you know, you miss a lot of time growing up because you're working and you miss that stuff. And, you know, and now I'm fortunate I'm not going to miss any of that stuff. So right. it, it's been great for me. And, and uh, but it, it makes a big difference in terms of being a professional poker player, I can tell you, because your priorities they do change now. Poker's not number one anymore. You know, your kids are number one. Your family's number one. You know, and you realize that once you have them. You know, but you also know you got to pay the bills, so you got to go play poker. But uh, right. uh, you know, your priority is your family and your kids. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. And I just look at all the guys out there now. You know, like uh, Mike Leaf, like Ryan Reese, like all these guys that have had kids, like you. How it's just really changing your life, and you do put perspective into things and realize, well, winning a poker tournament, going to play this poker tournament, you know, is not as important as it used to be. Right. It's also nice some of the stops too for you know, especially party pokers. They got Baja Mar now. There's some other nice ones where you can make a family vacation. You know, it's not the same, and you do you you want to try to try to work it all together but it is about balance and there is some planning and also some some sacrifices and maybe it's uh you don't get to do everything you want to do in terms of because it's hard like it's not just playing poker you got to study you got to review there's other things that come with it so it's uh it, it is uh it is a it is a balancing act but you know it's definitely possible and to your point freedom it is nice that you can decide all right well i'm going to play tournament sunday or i'm going to do this i'm going to do that but I get to take that day off or the birthday, or I want to take a few days and, and decompress. You get to do that too. So there's pluses and minuses, but I, I think it's really up to the, the person. If you're able to, to sort of construct. Well, I did it, so I'd really never tell someone, don't go for your dream. Don't do it. You know, if you really want to go for it, do it. And, uh, but you just warn them it's much tougher today. And you really got to be not only a great player, but to play tournament poker, as you know, I believe is the most, mentally straining sport in the world. I don't think any, there's not one sport that you got to be mentally tougher in than if you play tournament poker for a living. Cause like you right. said, you know, uh, you're only going to cash 20, 30% of the time if you're one of the best and, you know, to get to the final table is even less than that. And to win is far less than that. So, you know, it's not easy. You have to understand that most times you're going to get knocked out of a tournament and you have to be able to deal with it. Right. And you have to be able to deal with it whether you made a mistake to get knocked out or whether you get outdrawn to get knocked out. Right. doesn't matter. you got to be able to deal with it. And not say, why me? Why does this happen to me? Or are you idiot? Or whatever it might be. But uh, it's just something that if you can't deal with that and, you know, take that mentally, then tournament poker is not going to be for you, I can tell you. And, and, and tell me something that you think you've acquired skill set wise from playing poker. You know, that's something that my father who started playing around college when I got into it, said he wished he had played earlier, loves the game. You know, he has an academic mind, uh, was very supportive. Um, tell me a bit about what you think the most valuable things you take away from poker are. And some people may try poker and it doesn't work for them. and They don't do it for a living. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's to, de to relax. What is something you would say to someone that is thinking about picking it up that you could say with fair certainty they will get value uh, for life, for experiences? What could you say is the most valuable? Well, first of all, it's a fantastic game. I mean, poker is just a beautiful game to play. Yeah. And it's beautiful because anybody can win at the game. I mean, you can take somebody off the street and they could beat the world champion, for example, uh, you know, in, in one situation. Anybody can get lucky in one hand, one session, one tournament, and they can win. Now, obviously, 
We all know that those who prepare to win do better than those that don't. But uh, the truth is, it's a game that anybody can win at. It's got just the right combination of skill and luck to make it the great game it is. So I think for that reason, it's just a fantastic game. I know for myself, I'd love to play poker so much. I never got tired of playing poker. I mean, never. I mean, for 20 years, when I finished the game one night, I couldn't wait till the next day to go back and play again. And I just love playing the game. And the number one trait, I think, for anybody that's considering becoming a pro poker player is not that you like playing poker. I think that you have to really love the game because I don't care whether you're a winning player or not. If you don't love to play, you're going to be miserable playing poker, you know, because you're going to think it's uh, boring and monotonous and you don't like to deal with these people, whatever the case might be, you know. But if you love playing and you love talking to the people like I always did, uh, you know, there's nothing better than that. Absolutely. I, I, well said. Um, I want to ask you about the your college experience in athletics. So you grew up in Dayton, Ohio. You went to Ohio State. I know I'm, we talk about this always. I'm, I'm, I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan, born and raised. So big Wolverine fan. You guys have had a nice uh, tenure, nice, nice run uh, in football lately. It's gotten dark for a while, Michigan. But tell me what it was like being a Division One and actually an athlete. Because I think you taught some ballroom dancing, or your mother maybe was a the dancing classes, if I'm not mistaken. But you, you were a good dancer. You were a gymnast. What was that like being an athlete? At, at yeah, I did. I grew up in a dancing family. Both my parents were ballroom dance teachers. They met at Arthur Murray's, and they both taught ballroom dancing. So everybody in our family grew up dancing. And in fact, when I got out of high school. The summer I got out of high school, I went down to Arthur Murray's and got a job teaching ballroom dancing, you know, for the summer. And I didn't tell them I was going off to college because I don't know if they would have hired me. But, you know, they were happy to get somebody who knew how to dance and in there to teach. And uh, but then when I came down, well, I'm not familiar with that. That's at, Ohio, ball, uh, at Arthur Murray's. OK. Yeah. And that was a big those were big dance studios back in the day. And uh, so I had to teach for them in the summertime. And then I went off to college at Ohio State and. Uh, I was fortunate to get a full scholarship for gymnastics, and it was just fantastic. Uh, I had a great run there. And uh, at that time, unfortunately, Ohio State, you know, wasn't that good in gymnastics. Michigan was the top team in the country back in those days, just so you know. And, uh, you know, but uh, uh, we we came up to where we ended up finishing fifth my senior year. So we improved every year, but uh, we never could make it to the top really the NCAA gymnastics at the time. Fortunately, now over the years, we did become one of the best schools. We have won the NCAA title a few times in gymnastics, and now we have a fantastic program, and and uh, it's good to see. But, uh, you know, but uh, it was doing traveling back then. Even you, you got to go to different universities and campuses. You were, you played Division One. It was Division One sport, and you got to, you know, bounce around the country, I guess, right? Was oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We traveled around to – all the Big Ten schools, you know, to Iowa and yeah. Illinois and Michigan and Michigan State. And they were the premier teams in gymnastics at the time in the Big Ten and in the country. And, uh, you know, so you do travel and it's a lot of fun, a lot of camaraderie, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, when I was at Ohio State is when I started playing some poker. I learned how to play at 13 from Danny Robinson, as I told you. He kept me broke all the way through high school. And, you know, I never didn't know I had any skill with the game. But once I got off to college and got in the dorm and started playing cards with these guys, I don't care if it was gin rummy, if it was hearts, if it was uh, poker, it didn't matter what it was. I could see that in every game I was way better than all these guys. Right. So once I got away from Danny, I realized, hey, you know, I can beat all these guys at cards. And so, 
you know, I play a lot of poker, play a lot of bridge in college. And uh, literally, you know, I like to say I majored in cards because I spent uh, every day the last couple of years just playing bridge and poker every day. You yeah. had to go to practice from three to five, but uh, that was it, you know. It's a good lesson, too. You just you don't have to be the best in the world. You got to be the best in your game or beating, beating the game you're playing, whatever that means, wherever you are. And, and, and that's, uh, that's also a valuable lesson to be able to be honest with yourself, to know when you're a favorite, when you're not. You know, it's also like golf. You get, to, you, get to, you get to see how people handle themselves. How do they handle when they're winning? How do they handle when they're losing? You can tell a lot about someone at a poker table with, with uh, their character and just other Yeah, I remember a great story once. I was at the World Series of Poker. And I was standing next to Doyle Brunson, and a reporter was doing a story on Eric Drake, who was the tournament director of the World Series of Poker back in the day. Okay. And he was also a good, very good seven-card stud player. And the reporter asked Doyle, he said, Doyle, you know, I know Eric's the tournament director, but I hear he's a very good seven-card stud player. And Danny said, he, I mean, and uh, Doyle said, you know, Eric is a great seven-card stud player. In fact, he might be the seventh best seven-card stud player in the world. He said, but his problem is he plays with the top six every day. So <laughs> it's a classic story that just recognize that, like you said, it doesn't matter, you know, in poker, you know, you don't have to be the best player even at the table or the second best or third best. You do have to be better than a couple of players at the table if you're going to be a winning player in that game. But, uh, yeah. uh, you know, you don't have to be anywhere near the world's best in poker to be a winning poker player. You just got to be better than a couple of players that you're playing with. Yeah, it's a uh, it's that's a that's a that's that's pretty funny to hear it worded just like that. But that you're exactly right. So it's it's also important to be honest with yourself and realize that if you can't tell or if you're if your uh, your ego checks in and you're saying, well, you know, I'm just running bad or I'm unlucky, you know, that's a problem too. You got to be able to to address your strengths and weaknesses. Um, so we've covered party poker. That was very interesting how you got involved with that, but world poker tour then that came afterward or how did that, how did you get to, cause you were with party. How did you get into the world poker tour? Well, the world poker tour, Steve Lipscomb had filmed a documentary at the world series a couple of years earlier. And I'd met him then. I didn't really know him. And then I put on the tournament of champions of poker. And the third year that we put that on, we were going to film the final table for a worldwide internet broadcast. And Steve Lipscomb, I knew, was filming something, and uh, he didn't have anything to do. He didn't have any money. And so we asked him to film, you know, this final table for this internet broadcast. And so he did, and he filmed it. And now, when the tournament was over with, he came up to me and he said, Mike, he said, that was the best travel poker broadcast I've ever heard. I said, well, thanks. You know, he didn't think much more about it. And a couple of years later, he started the World Poker Tour. He came up to me and he said, Mike, he said, I've got good news and bad news for you. The good news is I want you to be a commentator on the World Poker Tour. And the bad news is if you take the job, you can't play in any of the events. Well, to me, this was a phenomenal opportunity to be on television. Can you imagine right. being on television? I was never even in a high school play. Right. And here you pick me out of the whole world. Uh, you know, and he picked Vince, the home game guy in Hollywood who knew everybody. And Vince is like me. He, he started playing poker when he was like 13, too. And we're poker guys that became commentators in poker. We weren't yeah, commentators. Yeah, about Vince. How did Vince get dragged? Did he was the guy running like Molly's game or whatever, however you want to equate it. He was the guy kind of organizing and knew everyone in Hollywood doing poker back then? Yeah, he did. And, uh, okay. you know, and he'd been an actor in his life and a professional tennis player. And, and uh, so uh, Steve paired him up with me. And that's how it started. And uh, 15 years later, we were still going strong until 
I had the opportunity from party poker where I switched over, but uh, it was such a great run, such great years. I just love Vance. I love everybody at the World Poker Tour. Always will. Always will be so grateful to Steve Lipscomb for giving me that chance. Yeah. And then for Adam Pliska for all he's done for taking the World Poker Tour global. And, and what he's done has just been fantastic. And uh, uh, they're phenomenal people. And just like party poker, you know, with Rob and all, how could you work for somebody better than that guy? I mean, great, great organizations, great teams, and it's is uh, it's uh, for sure seeing you not be the 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 voice, the faces. It's uh, it's confusing, right? Because that's what you think of World Poker Tour. You think of you. Vince is still there, and Tony Dunst was actually my most recent podcast guest uh, last week. Yeah. Yeah, so that was cool to talk to him and kind of hear his perspective. And he obviously said he looked up to you and sort of a role model icon. And, you know, the fact that he's in there and, and doing that now, it's obviously a great fit. It's uh, He's uh, around my age. And I was joking with him. I said, listen, you know, just when I, at some point if Vince ever steps down or something comes up, I was like, well, you know, keep me in mind. I would That would obviously be the dream job. It would be a lot of fun. And, you know, it's just hard, though, to think about the World Poker Tour without – you and Vince, though, kind of just the voices. You just you hear the voice, you know. Oh, it's that like those voices are, are iconic. But um, yeah. you know, I think we say that about Howard Cosell on Monday Night Football, and you know all the great announcers in football. You know, you know, time evolves. New people come in and take over and do a great job. So yeah, uh, he's doing a great job, and uh, you know it's going to be fine. And uh, you know, one day Vince will be replaced, and the World Poker Tour are going strong. And uh, you know, it's just such a a strong company and strong business that uh, they'll do great. I'll tell you a funny story about Tony Dunst because the WPT announced that they were taking public tryouts when they decided to put in the raw deal section. Yep. They asked me, and the tryouts were being held at the bicycle casino. Mm-hmm. And they wanted Vince and I to come down. It was on a Saturday. And they said, can you come down at noon on Saturday? We're going to start these auditions for guys to come in the raw deal. So I said, Sure. So I came, we, I came in the Bicycle Casino, and when I walked in there, the line was all the way down past the casino, around the corner, almost out the door, for guys that were wanting to try out for this Raw Deal segment. Tell me, Tony's the only one in the suit. So uh, the WPT had some people there, and then Vince and I were there to watch these interviews. Now, we were watching them and going through them, and Till like six o'clock, you know, and the line was still out the door. It was the most amazing thing you ever saw. And the only person that didn't attend those interviews, to my knowledge, was Tony Dunst. He was down in Australia, and he was the guy they ended up hiring for the raw deal. Wow. Because he sent in a video or something, and, uh, you know, he had some good stories. He had a great blog back in the day, because I used to read it, how he'd pick up girls in bars and all this, and it was just sort of fun to read, you yeah. know, how he poker and uh you know so i was happy that then i'm hiring but uh uh all these people that uh tried out for that part was just amazing and the line it was at least 200 people and uh wow it just allowed me that how bad people want to get on television for sure it's uh it that's super interesting i didn't realize it was that many that much of a engagement and interest and and was that when they told you guys come out you thought maybe there'd be like 10 or 20 people or you know yeah. an hour or two and you're there for a full day I, I mean, you can't believe how many people tried out i mean it was amazing to me it wow. really was that's that's really interesting that's uh yeah no it's nice i know i think phil Helmuth now does the raw dealer as or part of it or something and uh 
Yeah, World Poker Tour, it's, it's definitely going strong. Numbers seem great, too. I mean, it's amazing how many uh, circuit events or different parts of the world up until COVID, you know, the numbers seemed up, the tournament turnouts, the, num- the big guarantees, uh, new stops. It, it seems like it's thriving. You know, COVID's going to put a damper on things for a bit. We'll see how things rebound. What's your, what's your thought on why live poker is doing so, so well? Why is live poker up so much? Well, honestly, uh, obviously online poker is the one – a few businesses that have benefited from COVID-19. Yeah. I mean, uh, all sites, everybody's revenue has gone way up in the online world. Now, obviously when they get back to live poker, which probably be the start of next year, there may be some at the end of this year, but uh, uh, most likely next year. Then when live events start happening again, I think you're going to see online poker drop off just a little bit. And, uh, but we'll see, but uh, right now it's going strong. The events are fantastic and uh, people are loved to play poker. And, you know, if they can't play live, they're going to play online. So, you know, good for them. Well, when, what's your guess? What's the over under, you know, party poker has the Bahamas in November. What, do you think there's a realistic timeline? When do you, what's your best? Well, I'll be honest, they've got to make a decision, I think in July, because, you know, they got a book like, you know, 800 rooms or whatever it is, plus the ballroom down there. And they got to let the Bahamar people know. And, you know, it's just going to be a guess for them if COVID's going to be cleaned up by then or not, because, you know, if it's not, you know, how many people will travel there? Will they be able to fill the rooms? How big will it be? And, uh, yeah, yeah you know, it's not, it's not even, not even if they're allowed to, or what's happening, will people go? And that's sort of, I think this is tricky because you just don't know. You don't know it what is, people, it is tricky and, uh, you know, how great that event is and everybody loves it down there. And, uh, but it's a big decision that party has to make and they got to make it, I'm sure in the next 30 days if not sooner. And, and, uh, you know, I don't envy them in that position because everybody loves the millions events. They love going to it, but you know, whether they'll take a chance to do it this year, I don't know. And, uh, if not, that means that the millions events, uh, won't start up again until next year. Yeah, for sure. Well, Mike, I, we have, we have over a hundred questions. We won't be able to do all of them. I'm going to rapid fire through some of these coming up here quick. I do want to know about where, your time in Costa Rica. Did you spend when party poker was a headquartered there? Did you get to spend some time down there or where were you were in India? In the Dominican Republic. Were, were you we were in the Dominican Republic. Dominican that's, Republic. Where, that's where our software, I mean, that's where our customer support was. And we stayed down there. I was down there for, you know, probably five months, six months. And then uh, it was like a year later that they made a decision because our company was growing that they wouldn't be able to handle the expansion in the Dominican Republic because you need English speaking people, et cetera, et cetera. So they made a decision. They were going to move the customer support back to India where the software team was located and move the headquarters to Gibraltar, which is what they did. And then I went back to India for another six months uh, to train people there for that. And that was the smartest decision they made. And they made that decision when they still had a year left on their contract for the buildings and all that where we were located. But uh, uh, they just paid the rent, even though they weren't in the building, and moved back to India. And it was the smartest thing that they did that allowed for tremendous expansion of the company. And when you live in India, are you in a – do they get you a nice, like, a house? Are you set up nice? Are you in, like, a door – like, a apartment area? You were- All that time, I stayed in a hotel. They put me in a hotel, and which was nice. And, uh, you know, I ate tandoor chicken every day. You know, I, I was never into Indian food, to be honest with you. And uh, so I ate chicken most every day when I was there. But uh, it was fine. I could deal with it. 
Nice. Well, that man, that's that's crazy. That's a, that is a long time, I guess, to uh, to just sort of pop over and, and do that. And by the time you're there, so was that enjoyable, or was it kind of like all right? Most of the time in the office. Don't worry. You were you were you were grinding. You were there most of the time because the software guys were there at least sixteen hours a day. You know, I wasn't there maybe quite that long, but I would guess twelve hours a day anyway. And, and and looking at the software now, like, do you think that what you what was put out at the time was revolutionary and it was very like, were you like, wow, this is amazing? Or, I mean, obviously now you see party poker software and the different softwares is pretty incredible. But what at the time, was it like, this is where you, when you saw, were you excited? And you're like, this is really. Well, nice. time, yeah, of course you're excited. But then when we launched and then we started crashing, you know, every couple of days, you know, and you know, the frustration of that. The customers hated it. The card player cruise people were moaning about it because all their people were playing on the site. The site, we hated it, you know, and, and, but the owner said, oh, that's just typical in this business. You crash and blah, blah, blah. And they, they took it, you know, lighter than I did and lighter than the poker players did. Right. Uh, but fortunately our players were so loyal to us, you know, nowadays if that happened, they'd go to another site. Nobody would stick with you right. kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I'm so thrilled that uh, party poker has finally gotten it together now and that was, I know, Rob and Tom's primary thing to get the new software, get it going. And, uh, you know, I think they've done a wonderful job of it. And, and uh, it's going now uh, very well. And uh, I think players are accepting it and like it. And so, but uh, that's you the, no, the no HUDs, you know, the heads up displays. I guess I, I would imagine you're not playing too much online poker, but, you, you know, aware of that. And then also the real names the sort of segueing to this, especially for like the WPT and the, the uh, you know the prestigious sort of bigger events are trying to push the, the real names online because this is I love the real name tournaments. I love that for sure, and uh, obviously HUDs and all those things I'm against. I I take the site side, and you know Rob just wants as fair games as possible, right? And uh, you know we've sacrificed some business because of it, as you know. But he just to him it's more important to have a credible, honorable site that players can respect and want to come play on. Uh, no one are getting a fair shake and I love that about him. And, uh, he yeah. thinks they can grow that way. And, uh, you know, I'm with him on it. What, what do you, what would you, cause I'm curious on this actually from the party poker, the original side, was this ever even talked about or considered like in the early stages? Was that something like, say you sign up your real name shows, or I guess at, at the point, like no one was ever doing that. It was all username, screen names, yeah. never, never. Considered back then we just never did it. And, and, uh, you know, but, you know, back in the day, uh, it was a picnic. I mean, uh, because affiliates sent us people from sex sites and all these places, we had people on there that just couldn't play at all. We had the best games. Now, uh, we probably had the worst software. Paradise Poker had the best back in the day, you know, when they when they first started. But uh, because our games were so good, you know, players put up with it. Right. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I, I never even played. I just played on Party. I didn't even have a Paradise account, but yeah. I remember the games were incredible. Like, they really were. For It was a good period of time where it was just like, you, you, it was good. It was very good. I mean, yeah, so, yeah. very good. That's why I told poker players all the time. Poker players are going to go where the best games are. I don't care if you put a trailer across the seat from Bellagio, okay, and you brought the live ones to your trailer to play. Poker players are going to come play in the trailer rather than Bellagio. They're going to play where the live players play. And, uh, you know, back in the day, Party Poker had far and away the best the best games of anybody, and that's why we had all the business back yeah. in the 
That's 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 there's no question about it. Last thing I want to cover before we take questions: million dollar buy-in tournament. You do cash. You get actually ninth place uh, for one point one. I mean, it was a million dollar entry, but you know, this is one our, our boy Antonio took down for eighteen million. But this was the first one million dollar buy-in tournament. Is it pretty? How does that feel? First of all, like just to be to cash is nice, right? But to take part in this, looking back when you started in the early eighties playing uh you know 1k or wc seen a million dollar entry tournament is that did you ever in your wildest dreams think that was something that would happen Nobody ever thought that i mean just think the world series of poker started in 1970 it wasn't until 2006 they had that they had an event higher than a ten thousand dollar buy-in now think about that that's 36 years before they had a buy-in higher and then they put in the fifty thousand dollar players championship and I can remember the first time they had that, the buzz. Everybody was talking about it. It was just a fantastic super event. And uh, Chip Reese, who never played tournaments, came in and played that and won that title. And, uh, uh, you know, it was just so exciting to see that. And now, six years later, in 2012, they had a million-dollar buy-in tournament, the one-drop tournament. And I had an opportunity to play in that as well. And I just can't tell you how exciting that was to get that opportunity to play in that because it's historical. Never going to happen again. Never had before or since the first time a million-dollar poker tournament. And, you know, I can remember so vividly everything about that tournament and how exciting it was to play in and how classy it was and, you know, how it maxed out. They only had 49 players for seats, and there were more players that were putting their money up trying to get in, but uh, Guy shut them out because he said, look, I told you from the beginning – this is all we're taking. 48. Yeah, that was crazy. And and how how do you remember what was it? I mean, you played poker a long time. You played some some huge cash games. You played big tournaments. You've 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 done pretty much everything you can do in poker, but does there I mean there's gotta be a little the what was the biggest buy-in you'd ever played before that? A hundred or what was it? Twenty I mean, what was uh what was the largest buy-in? I mean, because that, that must feel twenty thousand. Yeah, so I mean that's you know listen I don't care who you are I don't care how what percent you have of yourself if you're staked fully you buy some doesn't matter a million dollar going to the cage getting that slip and sitting down realizing you could lose a million on any hand technically how does that feel that must have been like a, a bit of a yeah, and I was the luckiest player in the tournament by far because at that time I was playing a very high stakes poker game in Beverly Hills yeah and the billionaire who ran the game Alec Gores. We were playing, and now they heard the one-drop tournament was coming up, you know, and they're all excited about it. And three or four people from my game played in that one-drop, incidentally. Wow. But uh, uh, but Alex said, Mike, he said, you should play in that tournament. I said, Alec, I will be free that day to play in that tournament, you know, and I'd be love to play. And he ended up putting me in it, staking me 100% in that tournament. Wow. And a 50-50 free roll, most amazing thing of all. 50-50. A 50-50 free roll playing in that tournament. And it was so important for me to get the to get in the money to get his money back. And uh, uh, you know, it uh, when we got down to ten players, they only paid nine, and it's the biggest bubble in history, and will ever be in history. It was a million one hundred fifty thousand for ninth place. Tenth place got zero. Yeah. And we got down to ten. They put us at one table, and three of us were the three short stacks. And I'd made up my mind, and I said, "Look, I don't care what it takes." I'm going to get this money. I don't care. You know, you know, and I said to myself, I said, you know, I prayed actually. And I said, you know, if I don't bust on the bubble in this tournament, I swear to you, I'll never complain about busting on any bubble again the rest of my life. Anytime it happens, I'll never complain if I don't bust on the bubble in this tournament. And now a couple of hands into the uh, uh, tournament uh, 
with 10 added people, you know, uh, a guy limps in for the buys were 150 and 300,000. And a guy in a small bond limps in for 150,000. And Sam Trickett makes it 800,000. He was in second position, chip position, Antonio at the time. Yep. And uh, he bet 800,000. And now the Russian and the small blind moved all in. Wow. He limped in. He had about 5 million. Okay. And Sam only had about 14 million at the time. So he was going to go down to average stack or below if he loses his pot. And five seconds time, wasn't even that long, Sam Strug said, I call. And he turned up a King 8 offsuit. What? A King 8 offsuit. And I went, oh, my God, how can you double up a guy with that junk can? I was thinking to myself. The Russian turned up a Queen 10. He turned up a Queen 10 offsuit. And Sam made two eights, won the pot, busted the guy out on like on the second hand. And we were down to the money. And I said, Sam, you'll always be my hero. I don't care what happens in poker. You're my man from now on forever. And wow. uh, every time I see him, I still tell him that's that. an insane bubble hand all around, like all around the the ra- the limit. Later, Antonio busted me and uh, knocked me out, and then he went on to win, and Sam came second. So the guy that got me in the money and the guy that won the tournament, those are the two guys that were key for me in that tournament as well. And uh, you know, but I blame myself for getting busted at Antonio. That shouldn't have happened. Man, yeah, that's a, that's quite a that's quite a uh, that's intense. Though. You must have been that must be a whole different look. Because even like I don't want to get queens, I don't want to get ace king on the bubble. Because like you know what, like what you have yeah. to go with aces, but like you don't even want to get king to ace queen. You just don't want to risk it, right? Like it's just not good. No, I mean uh, it was just huge, and I couldn't believe when, I, when and Sam turned his hand up first, and my heart just sunk to the ground. And I thought, how can you double up a guy with this? You know, now there's only two short stacks left. You know, and the Russian turned up queen ten. I was in shock. Wow. And, and I mean, uh, still, even honestly, though, you even if the guy had had ace queen or jacks, you would have loved to see it. You want to see the guy at risk, right? You don't want to be the one on the chopping block. But yeah. now comes around to me and Antonio sitting right on my right. Yeah. And he's in a small blind for 150, and I'm in a big blind for 300. Okay. Now here he comes. He bets 900 thousand. Now automatically, I know that tells me he's got nothing because okay. for two days. He never bet over two and a half times the size of the big blind. Okay. So it's very suspicious to me. Now, I've got Jack 10 of diamonds, and I've got four and a half million in, in chips. Now, what would you do with Jack 10 of diamonds, sir? You know, I was suspicious of him, but I want to be a flop. So I just called a 600,000. Yeah, I think calling makes sense. But I, I, yeah, especially he's chip leader, and you're, he's probably not folding. Yeah. Through, so I chip leader, and uh, even though I thought it was suspicious. So anyway, it was chip leader, and uh, – so now I called him. So now the flop comes ace, jack, six. Okay. Ace, jack, six with the ace of diamonds. Okay. I have a jack, ten of diamonds. So I thought, well, now here I go. I'm going to go broke with second pair. Because, you know, I just didn't think I was going to give up two jacks here. You know? And now Antonio checks, which was the most shocking thing. I ever. Antonio never checks, as you know. And now he checked. I thought, is he trapping? What is he trying to do here? This didn't make sense to me. Right. I said, well, I'm not going for this, you know. Sure. So I checked behind him. Yeah, I like that. Now, on the turn, the three of diamonds comes up. So now there's four diamonds out there, ace-jack, six-three on the board. Now, here comes Antonio. He bets a million. Okay. Now, I checked the flop. Now, I bets a million. And now, I moved all in, you know, for the rest of my chips for four million. And now, he goes into, oh, Mikey, I can't believe it. I can't believe you flopped aces and jacks. And I'm thinking to myself, aces and jacks, you know, I got one pair of jacks here, you know. And, uh you know, so he goes into this long hem hall. What do you have? Says, I don't know how I can lay this down. He says, 
So he says, I call. So he calls. He turns up a 6-3 offsuit. He made two pair on the turn. Wow. I didn't help on the river. I get knocked out of the tournament. They're all high-fiving because they made the TV table the next day. Oh, I didn't make the TV table. I made the money. But they're high-fiving, and nobody's paying attention to me. And I'm thinking to myself, all I had to do is move in before the flop or bet on the flop. I'm going to win this pot. And instead, I ended up losing it. And, uh, but I was happy to see Antonio win and happy that uh, – Fair, though. I, I think your play – I might even just call the turn and then evaluate river. But, like, I, I don't really – I mean, that's not – Going all in pre, okay. I I think you. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to do. And uh, looking back on it, you know, it's easy to play the red board, as Buggy Pearson would always say. Yeah. But honestly, you know, I don't think I played the hand that bad. It's I mean, uh, he thought I'd have made it on the turn. Yeah, if an, a nine came up, anything came up, you know, a right. deuce wouldn't have mattered, you know. It is so. It's so crazy these tournaments, and like, because the million is so different. Like you're mentioning, you've played poker up until 2012 for what 30 years more, and and then to be in this one spot variance, you make the sickest bubble. But really, you know, 18 million to first, and and one million the the gap, and just like, can you run good? You win a couple flips, like anyone can win. I remember Rast lost that hand with a flopped and up flush for Sam Satin River quads. Like these type of rivers or moments, you know, these are the variance in poker and tournaments. It's like. It's so hard to you. The best players in the world, or maybe they ran hot for a period of time, or won one big tournament, and then they able to play for a long. You know, it's just the variance is wild. It's a wild. Really? You really look at all the the little things or the river cards, and it it is such a mixture of skill and luck. It's such a beautiful mixture of a game, and and uh, it's just crazy, man. It's a you've had you've been around. I'm sure you've seen it all. You've seen guys sp- spin from nothing to to riches. You've seen guys with all the money go broke. I'm sure you've seen. Everything yeah. that you you know you can't even put into words. I'm sure that the the differences you've seen along the way. You've seen a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I sure have. And uh, you know, in poker, there's big swings, as you said, long dry spells in tournaments. You start questioning yourself: Can I play? Are these guys better than me? What am I doing wrong? All these things come into your mind. You know, when you don't win, and uh, you know, but it's tough. And uh, but then again, you might get on a roll and cast three, four tournaments in a row. You know, make a couple final tables in a row. We see it all the time, you know, and guys yeah. get on heaters that, that are mind-boggling, you know, and, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's just random luck a lot of times, as you said, whether you win a flip or you don't, and whether you're a tournament champion or not, it's that simple. Yep, it's uh, it's definitely a great combination. Well, let's uh, Mike, let's dive in. We've been we we uh, you're one of the guys I definitely could talk to and, and take your whole day. I don't want to take your whole day. I do want to go to. I, I got nothing else to do. All right, well then, I'm, I'm, we're going to capitalize on. It. I'm gonna, we're going to do. Uh, we're going to go to the, the questions though. We can see if you guys want to ask a question. We got a fifty five dollar ticket, courtesy of Party Poker and Mike today. Around a hundred questions. We'll we'll kind of scroll through. Hopefully, we've answered some already and gone through some of this. Um, oh, look at that! First question about Stu Unger. So we're already we're already ahead of schedule. That we've already talked about that. Um, what's your best party poker memory from the old days? From like the original from your from your. Uh, Tenure there. Uh, the best party poker memory by far is when we first held our semifinals for the Party Poker Million. People played for months to win a qualifying seat in one of four days. We had four days of semifinals where 25 people a day would get to make it to the ship to get in the Party Poker Million. Well, a week, a couple of days before the semifinals, which we've been planning on for months, the software guys come up to me and said, Mike, we got to cancel semifinals. I said, what are you talking about? Cancel the semifinals. We can't do that. They said, well, we've never tested with a thousand people. We've never tested for a multi-table tournament. You know, we don't know if it can handle this. 
the site might crash, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, we can't do it, you know? So I go to the top guy that I respected the most, and I said, what's the percentage that we do not crash? You know, and he said, probably 70, 80% at best. I said, well, we got to gamble. We've got to take a chance. And if we postpone it, we're completely dead because we can't change the dates of the cruise. All these people have taken time off to play these semifinals, and we're dead in the water. Right. If we crash, we're also dead in the water, where nobody will come back to our site again. Right. I said, well, either way, there is no party poker if we can't make this work. So now I went to the owners. I told them the same thing. I said, we got to roll the dice. we got to gamble. If we don't, there is no party poker. It's that simple. Wow. So we had every software person, every customer support person, everybody, for those four days of semifinals, and we were sweating bullets. And we got through day one. It lasted until 4 or 5 in the morning, the semifinal, where we qualified 25 players. I personally called all of them, said, congratulations, I'll see you on the ship, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, me and the software guys went to a gas station. It was open 24 hours. We got some beer out of there. We sat in the car. We drank the beer. It's by far the greatest day of party pool we ever had. Wow. And that was in India. You went to a gas station in India? In the Dominican Republic. I was actually in the Dominican Republic uh, when we launched. And uh, we were in the Dominican Republic. But the software guys did it. We pulled it out. We didn't have any. Any crack in those four days of the semifinals, but that's uh, crazy. That's like, it's like a rocket ship launch, really, right? It's probably that stressful. You were rolling the dice for your business. There was no business if we hadn't have made it. It, was or, that or, it could, or, or the the repair of that could be take years to get that yeah, to get the trust. You, you, you know, uh, the credibility would have been lost, and uh, you know, but uh, that by far was the greatest day of party poker ever for me. That's awesome. That's a great story. See this? I like this. Twitter's got good questions too, man. Mike, we can't, we can't just, uh, we can't, uh, we can't just ignore them here. I, I do want to, we do, I got to talk about the book quickly too, before I forget, because I, I got my signed copy. I have read, I can't say I've read all of it. I have read it. I've read, rolled through uh, a decent bit of it. And it's very interesting. Life's a gamble. How did you come up with that title? And what can people expect if they do grab a copy of this? Well, anybody that likes gambling, if they like golf, if they like poker, uh, they're going to love this book because there's uh, a lot of stories in there, gambling stories, golf stories, and there's a lot of history about poker in there. I talk about the first 30 years of the World Series of Poker, for example, and give stories about each year. I talk about how party poker got started and the amazing story that it is. I talk about how the World Poker Tour got started and the amazing story that that is. And, uh, and then I put chapters of the five true legends of the poker world in this book, like Stu Unger, like Doyle Brunson, Chip Reese, Puggy Pearson, Billy Baxter, you know, where you learn more all about those guys. Right. And they're fantastic stories. And, uh, uh, you know, it really, now I'm not saying it because I wrote it, but I promise you, if you like any of those things or you're any kind of action at all, you will love this book because it really is a fun book to read. And it's simple to read. You said you didn't finish it. You can read it in a couple hours. It's an easy read. Yeah, no, it, it it is. I've read. I I thought it was. It's just. It's cool to look back and see some of the the early the earliest stuff in poker, and it's fascinating to me. I don't even. I still. I love the old time stories of of how the game got going, how some of the different variations happened, and you know, it's just got to be cool to see where it is from start. Poker. And it's my life autobiography as well. So you yeah. know, there's a lot you can get from this book, and it's interesting and fun. You know, if you like gambling, poker, golf stories action of any kind you're gonna really like it 
Absolutely. Well, uh, you should definitely check it out, guys. I, I know there's a lot of people that, that do love that. And I think I can, again, say I would, it's a safe thing to say. It's different too. It's not, you know, it's not like your strategy poker book. This is more a story about autobiography. It's not about how to play poker. But you can learn a lot of lessons in it. Yep. Lots of lessons in there. For sure, which is very important, not just being able to play. I want to ask you uh, about, the, they say the late great Devilfish. I think, I believe you were pretty close to him or you knew him well. And not only just him, but some other characters maybe along the uh, on the years, some of the, the iconic, because being in the World Poker Tour, there were some personalities and then the talking and characters that people uh, relate to and know. I mean, Devilfish definitely being one of those. Maybe you could talk about a story of his or just what he was like and also maybe some other players that on the World Poker Tour that really came to life. Well, the Devilfish is absolutely one of the greatest characters in poker history. I mean, the guy was fun to be around. If you could understand him, then you could have a good time with him. And uh, he was from Hull in Northern England. Even English people don't understand him up there, I don't think, sometimes. But uh, he, he was just a, a guy that was fun. And I can remember one time we were in Paris playing a big tournament, uh, the Grand Prix de Paris, at the Aviation Club. Now, the Aviation Club is a real old James Bond-type club, you know, and they take two-hour dinner breaks from 10 o'clock till midnight. That's when they take dinner break. And, and you know, they don't eat at 6 or 8 o'clock. They eat at 10 o'clock. Okay. So I'm sitting at the table with Devilfish, and they got a small little guy playing on the organ or piano. It was a little organ type thing. And he's playing very quiet music like that, you know. And, and Devilfish says, I think I'll liven up the joint a little. So he goes up to the guy, and... He says, you know, move over, let me play something. And the Frenchman didn't speak any, didn't know what Devilfish was talking about. Devilfish gets out $100. And he said, here, this is for you to take a break. And the guy said, oh, he thought it was for a record. You know, what do you want to hear? Devil says, no, 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 you get out. Well, he got out, and all of a sudden, Devilfish sits down and starts playing Great Balls of Fire, Jerry Lee Lewis. I mean, rocking the place. And all the Frenchmen just jump up like they're in shock. Who is this guy? What the hell are you doing in dinner? Now, all the foreign players that were there were loving it, you know, but, uh, right. you know, all of a sudden, uh, that's the way Devil Fish was. At every tournament, he'd play songs on the guitar, on the piano, you know, just to liven up the place, have fun, he'd tell jokes. He was just fun to be around, and, uh, yeah. you know, he was just a character in the poker world, and, and he was tough, as you know. You know, he spent time in prison, and when he got out of prison, he turned to poker and became an icon in the poker world, you know? And he said, you know, it's amazing, you know, I was a thief all my life, and I turned to poker, and, uh, and I get all the respect in the world. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, he, he was just a character. You know, he chased the girls, as we know, a little bit too much sometimes. But uh, he, uh, I can remember standing next to him one time. And a reporter said to him, I said, Devilfish, you know, what do you think of all these great young players coming up today? You know, how good they are and all. You know, what do you think of them? And, and it was a female reporter. And Devilfish looked at her. He said, I can, I, he said, I can outfight them. I'll fuck him and I'll play him. He said, and he could. He could do all the above. So it was very fun. Yeah, man, he really were. That's 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 strong. That's a strong. Yeah. That's strong all around. He just yeah. He takes over a room. That's uh. I I, I only met him a couple times. Seemed like a very interesting, nice guy. That's so you got to know him. And and is it? I mean, the World Poker Tour with the Antonio Espandiaris, Daniel Negreanu, Phil Ivey's, Helmuth. These guys. They were this the, the right place, right time. And this is really brought to life. These winning the World Poker Tour. I know Antonio had the one point four million. That was his nickname. Uh, kid. Well, kid four four. He turned forty four k. And the one point yeah. four million. All the guys you mentioned, you know, guys that won the first five years on the World Poker Tour became obviously the biggest names in poker. Yeah. And honestly, to this day, they're still the biggest names in poker. 
You know, they're still the biggest celebrities. We know guys today can play way better than them now, but it doesn't matter in terms of celebrityism. They're bigger stars. And Devil Fish was one of those back then. And let me tell you something. When he won his WPT title, he won it down in, in uh, Tunica, Mississippi, where Jack Benyon had the casino, and everybody went down there. It was a huge event. And to this, of the 15 years that I was with the World Poker Tour, nobody dominated a final table more than Devilfish dominated that table. And Phil Ivey was at that table. Wow. And Devilfish dominated that table, dominated Phil Ivey. Phil Ivey finished second to him in that tournament. But uh, it's the most dominating performance in the history of the tour. And it was by Devilfish, in my wow. opinion. I'd love to see that that uh, that, that footage. Uh, that would be a fun one to, to get to. Well, Devilfish had the chip lead. And the other five, you know, had pretty low stacks. So he just raised every pot and they don't fold. He'd just pick up pot after pot after pot. Didn't matter what he had, nine deuce, yeah. eight four. He'd just raise and take the pot down. Right. And then finally somebody three by him, he'd throw his hand away. Or he may play a marginal hand if he didn't have many chips with king nine or whatever it was. Yeah. You know, and he might bust him out of tournament that way. But and he, he, he just he was putting on ICM pressure, just totally just just completely. people got such a lead it was over, basically. Just people are trying to pay jump. Yeah. It was. That's that's hard to do. I mean, it happens nowadays. And honestly, it's the only time I've ever complained to Steve Lipscomb or the World Poker Tour about how they put that final table on television. Because as you know, when you're watching final tables, they never show when a guy raises and everybody folds. You know, you only show action pots where somebody ends up going all in or something. So literally, all the pots they showed in that final table, most of the time, was Devilfish calling somebody when he had the worst hand when they were all in. Mm. So it looked like he was playing like a, sh- a schmuck, but they didn't show the 10 hands he stole before they got to that five. Right. And, and it was a, a meaningless, like like 10 more blinds to call a five more and you had such a lead and it just, yeah, that's. And I really, I was really upset about it because it's the most dominating performance, but it didn't come across that way on TV. It didn't look like that. It made it look like Devil Fish was lucky to win. Oh. And it really upset me for a while. But you know, I got over. Interesting. It. Well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, that's that's interesting. I, I like I said, I would love to see it, but that be that would be interesting to have like uh, an archive or some way that you could replay like a full final table and see all the hands. You know, like that, like put that up as like a a pay per something where you could actually go back and see every hand dealt or something. You know, it'd be long, but it would be interesting. Yeah. You could fast forward and see and 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 watch. I think that would be kind of cool. Uh, so maybe yeah, that's our, a possibility. Poker players would like it for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. So someone asking about your w, largest WSOP cash again, guys. We did we cover this. You had a one point one million. It was a million dollar buy-in though. But you've had some other big caches. What was your actual biggest profit? The biggest prize I won was a million dollars, and that was when I won the WSOP Tournament of Champions. They had a two million dollar prize pool. A million went to the winner. Four hundred thousand went to second place. Now I got in on a sponsor exemption because Party Poker put up the two million, and. I declared before the tournament started that I was given half of what I won to charity. Oh, wow. So we got down to three players in that tournament. It was me, Mike Matasau, the defending champion, and Daniel Negrano. And it came down to me and Negrano playing heads up. And we had tons of chips to play with. The, the, the structure was unbelievable, where I knew it was going to be a long heads up battle. And Daniel knew it too. And he likes to play small balls, you know, and I'm fine with it too. And it's a big difference, a million to 400,000. But he knew, I, I think he knew that I was giving away half money to charity, so I probably wouldn't deal. But out of respect for the sponsor putting up $2 million, you know, he wouldn't have wanted to negate that, for example. And, you know, I salute him. Not one time did he or I ever mention a deal, ever. Not once. And we played over seven hours, heads up, 
before I came out on top. Wow. So it was, it was the most longest heads up battle of all time. And uh, I was fortunate to come out on top and uh, get 500,000, 100,000 each to five charities and picked wow. up a half a mil. And it was just fantastic. But that was the biggest cash prize that I ever won in a tournament. That's awesome. That's a, that's, and to give the charity is, is nice too. That's uh that's a general, that's fit. 50% yeah. 500K, that is a healthy... And I don't know if Daniel didn't ask me because he respected the sponsor, he knew I was giving money to charity, or he just figured he would probably beat me, so he wanted to go for the millie. <laughs> so, yeah, well, either way, you got the title, you got, you got the memory and the charity got the money as well, and that's that's awesome. I got the trophy. The trophy's always, always good. People asking about sports. We covered that he was, Michael's a gymnast in college, got a scholarship. Um, also about Stu Unger stories that we've covered several of those. And that's also in your book. I'm sure you, in, in Life's a Gamble, you cover some Stu Unger. Uh, and a lot of stories in there about Stewie. Yep. Um, news. Uh, what about inspiration to become a pro? You mentioned that it was Chip Reese and his buddy Danny, was it, that kind of got you to get? No, it wasn't actually them. Uh you know, I was playing poker, you know, in college, as I said, a little bit. And uh, in, in like one or two games a week, I found that we played in in college. And we played my apartment once a week. And then uh, when I got out of the Army, or while I was in the Army, in fact, I started finding some home games around Fayetteville, North Carolina. I was stationed at Fort Bragg. And then when I got out of the Army... I was teaching some ballroom dancing on the side and had a sales job in the day and still found poker games at night to play in. And it turns out I was making more money in the poker than I was making at those jobs. And then after three and a half years, I quit the sales job and just started playing full time in those poker games and absolutely loved it. Never enjoyed poker more than in those home games back in North Carolina. It was the most fun, probably eight years I ever had playing poker and uh, the camaraderie we had. It was just fun. Couple games started at noon. I drove 100 miles to play in one game. Wow! It was the most fun poker game ever. And if you didn't get there by noon, you didn't get a seat. Wow! And uh, it went into the next day most of the time. But that, they, it was fun to play in. And then I started going to Vegas. And back when I started going to Vegas, I never liked the attitude of the players that lived there because they always thought they were better than the sewers that came into town. Mm-hmm. You know? And I would play poker, and usually I played a better stuff with these guys. That's what I played most of, high low split. And I didn't think they were better than me. I didn't think any of them were better than me, basically, you know. Right. And I never lacked confidence or I was never scared to play against the Vegas players, you know. And then eventually, as I said, in 84, I came to the World Series of Poker for the first time and made two final tables, and that was it for me. I said, I've never missed another World Series. I never have missed one in all those years. And uh, a little trivia question. I hold the record for the most consecutive caches in World Series of Poker history. You oh, know? Wow. As in yeah, years? I, think so. I thought it would be Barry Johnson or somebody who was playing long before me, but it turns out that uh, uh, they, they put out there one day that I was the longest consecutive cash guy. Now, that doesn't mean anything today because you get 85 events, so if you can't cash in one of those, you know. But So I guess they'll have that record like with playing. That's, that's – uh... That's interesting. Wow. So, okay. So that's good to know. And, and what do you think about what's happening with the WSOP and online and they get pushed back and does it, is it, are they saying they may still do something in October or I know they're doing some online stuff. Well, I think they would like to do it in October and November, but I think they're, they're probably a little torn about we are the millions of events in Baja Mar, you know, if we're going to have that or not, because nobody knows what's going to happen. But obviously you'd like to have the world series of poker, you know, uh, 
I mean, you know, you know how many millions they make every year they put every time they put that on. So I'm sure they would love to have it. And uh, just a matter of uh, if they're going to be allowed to have it or something. But as you know, Vegas is open back up now and, you know, where the COVID comes back and shuts them down again or something yeah. is up in the air. Who it's knows what's going to happen. But These there, live things with the plexiglass are kind of crazy to see. It just seems like kind of bizarre. Like, I don't know how much that really does or what that is, but I see they're trying it in places. But Yeah, they're trying that and some places are open and playing full ring games now and all that. So, and I'm wild. These poker rooms are full down in Florida and some of these places, uh, you know, they're, they're packed and now they're playing in Vegas again. And, you know, so. Yeah. People love yeah. to play. That's for sure. They'll find a way online. They'll find a way live. They'll, they'll, they'll figure it out. People want to, want to get, get, keep their mind sharp. They want to see some hands and, and see how they're running. I, I do think again, with the legal stuff too, it's uh it just shows you like people will play whether it's an irregulated unregulated site or they want to, you know, local guys or they play for free on it, whatever, like guys are playing. So people are playing, women are playing. They're, they're, they're going to find a way. So it just seems to make all the sense to have it regulated taxed and, and just get it in the U S. So I, uh, yeah, I hope that that, that happens. Mike, I think you froze up there for a sec. I'm not sure if you can hear me, but we were having a smooth podcast guys. I think, uh, I don't know if that's my end or Mike's could be mine actually. Let me see. Oops. Oh, bear with us for a second. Uh, let me see. I think we had an internet freeze. Um, let me see if we can get Mike back on and continue the questions, guys. This is Mike Sexton, legend of the game. Oh, there he is. There I'm he back. Is. Mike, I, I lost you for a sec. I don't know if it was my end or your end. I think my internet might have cut. All right. All right. Let me lose your audience and uh, fire away. Some more questions here. We're in. Let's keep it going. Uh, what's the craziest thing you've seen in a poker room from Vegas, live, online, whatever, live in, a, in, in North Carolina, anywhere? What's the craziest thing you've seen? Well, the craziest thing I ever saw was the guy that jumped up on the table last year at the World Series of Poker. Uh, you know, and in the middle of the tournament, the 10K buy-in tournament too, not just a normal tournament. And uh, he started dancing around the table, and then he went back to a casino and danced around that table. And uh, you know, the guy had mental issues. And ironically, this guy had been at a charity event. I'd been with him at the Red Rock Casino. They put on a huge charity event there, and uh, Daniel was running it, I think, and I was there. And this guy was taking pictures of everybody, and he was the guy that did it. And so obviously he had some issues and some problems and I felt sorry for him, but that was pretty crazy. Yeah, that that's right. Actually, I, I forgot about that, but I remember, I didn't see it, but I heard about it. I saw some pictures of it. So that, that's a little wild. What was it like going to Vegas for the first time? Was it like flying in on the plane? How much was that? Was that just like overwhelming, exciting? Were you kind of like, oh, oh first time I ever went to Vegas, I'll never forget as long as I lived because I was staying with Chip and Danny. Mm-hmm. So I got there that night and I go to their house and it was the biggest, greatest bachelor pad you ever saw in your lifetime. They had a movie screen that was like eight foot tall, and they had they were cartridges of movies back then, you know, DVDs or whatever. They were, they were stacked up to the ceiling. Nobody had that back then. You know, they had a bar. They had dogs that they fed steaks to every night and, and naked women running around. It was just the most fantastic place you ever saw, and I was so excited to be there. And now I said to Danny when I got there, I said, what's on the schedule for tomorrow? And Danny said, well, i got a big golf game tomorrow. Now, I grew up with Danny. Now, remember, Danny was a phenomenal golfer. He was the number one golfer on the state high school championship golf team. Oh, wow. He went to high university on a golf scholarship. I caddied for him and won the City of Dayton Championship, which is like the most prestigious event in Ohio, one of them. Okay. And it's a seven-day event, and he won. I mean, the guy could play. Yeah. Now, this was a few years later, but he is a golfer. I mean, a real golfer. 
And I said, who are you playing? He said, I'm playing a guy that weighs 400 pounds. I said, the guy weighs 400 pounds. I said, what are you spotting him? He said, a half a shot aside, which is like nothing. I said, a half a shot aside. I said, there's nobody in the world who weighs 400 pounds that can beat you playing golf and half a shot aside. And he laughed. He said, it's going to be a tough game. He said, well, I'm betting a $20,000 Nassau with one automatic press aside, so you could lose five bets, so it's 100000 possibly. And he said, you can take a piece of it if you want. I had $2,500 that I brought with me. That was my whole bankroll <laughs> in the world at the time. I said, I want to bet $500 Nassau on you. I want to bet the whole thing on day one. So we go to Las Vegas country. I couldn't sleep that night. I was so excited. I died and going to heaven. I'm at this bachelor pad. I'm going to make money the next day. Here in Las Vegas, it was a dream come true. So the next day, I meet the guy who's going to play in the putting green, and it's Doyle Brunson. And Doyle did weigh over 400 pounds at the time. Holy cow. And so they warm up. We go to the first tee. Danny's up first. It's a perfect drive down the middle. I'm thinking, ah, I don't believe it. This is, this is unbelievable. Doyle hits a drive. It doesn't go above a desktop high, like six feet high, a low-line drive. Now, the Las Vegas Country Club at that time had fairways that were like greens. So when the ball hit on it, they rolled forever. Okay? So now we go over the hill on the first tee, and I see one ball is about 60 yards in front of the other one. I said, if that's Doyle's ball out in front, I said, I could be fucked here. And sure enough, it was Doyle's ball. And Doyle shot 72 from the back tees at Las Vegas Country Club that day. I couldn't believe a guy that big could play golf that well. I was in shock. He beat me out of four bets, 2,000. I lost out of my 2,500. And I was just mesmerized. And I'm going around, and I'm talking to him all the way around and, and uh, uh, got to be friends. Now, back then, this was 1977, and Doyle was the reigning world champion of poker at the time. But he was a big running Rebels fan, basketball fan. It was the toughest ticket to get in town. And he started talking about him during the match. And I was in North Carolina. I said, Doyle, I said, they might be good. They can never beat North Carolina. And he said, oh, what are you talking about? You got to see them. They're better. I said, they're not better in North Carolina. I said, it's impossible. I said, North Carolina is phenomenal. And uh, so anyway, he said, well, you got to go to a game. So I never even met Doyle, didn't even know him from Adam, lost all my money to him, hated him that day because he beat me out of my money. But I was in awe of him because I couldn't believe he could, it was that good an athlete. And I was in shock. I didn't know he, he ran track and had a state mile record when he was in high school that he was going to play pro basketball. Anything about Doyle at that time, you know, except that he could play golf, you know. And I learned all that later, what a great athlete he was. But uh, anyway, he calls me up. He said, I got a ticket. Come, you're coming, come to the game. And so he invited me to a run around with a basketball game. And they won like a 116 to 65 or something, you know. I just blew this team off. the. I said, Doyle, you might be right. This team is really good. And uh, sure enough, North Carolina went to the final four. The running Rebels went to the Final Four. They met in the semifinals. They should have met in the finals, but they met in the semifinals. And North Carolina beat them. I mean, uh, North Carolina beat them in overtime. It was a phenomenal game. And uh, and then North Carolina somehow they were all played out or something. Lost to Marquette in the finals, and uh, Marquette ended up being the national champion. But but they won, uh, they won around though. Didn't they win it the year before, or after, or something? Or didn't the UNLV win around that time? Uh. No, I don't think uh, UNLV – I don't know if they won back then or not. I don't know. They won in 1990 for sure. Okay. No, that's maybe the teams I'm thinking of. 91. That's they the could have won. Back then, they could have won and yeah. lost to the finals that next time. But 
But uh, they yeah, were that, must, that must be a crazy place to be to play basketball, college basketball, and be like when you're when they're that good, right? When it's like they're one of the top teams because now you got Vegas sports, the Knights, you got the Raiders coming. But back then, that was only oh, that was the thing. When I tell you, it was the toughest second in town. It was, and Doyle to invite me to one of his special seats, you know, great seats. That was one thing about hanging around these high stakes players, right? I got invited with them to go to all the boxing matches. I mean, heavyweight championship matches, you know, Leon Spinks and Muhammad Ali, you know, all these big matches, the Tyson matches, you know, these guys had connections, they had tickets. And because I was sort of in that circle, you know, I got to go to these things and it was just fantastic. You got VIP treatment everywhere you went. So it was nice hanging around with those guys. And uh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was great. I was going to ask you for a Doyle story, but that that's a pretty special one there. I mean, that I didn't realize Doyle was that good a golfer. I mean, I knew he got those guys. Like, I, mean, I couldn't believe it myself, to be honest with you. They shot even par from the back tees. He did. And then later, became partners in golf. That's when he was on a crutch and he couldn't play. And we played some high-stakes matches, very high-stakes, that he put up all the money for. And uh, those were legendary matches. And uh, we won those. And he's always mad we didn't win more in those matches. Because Noah was the guy that liked to win every penny he had every time he played. He'd give guys a fair match in golf, but he'd make them bet so much money that they would choke. And uh, that's how he would win, you know. But he was, you know, he, he would give fair matches, and but he made them bet higher than they're used to betting and that they wanted to bet, and they knew they were choking. Uh, but uh, and so good. It really is. Uh, it's fun, man. It's cool. These are, it's, 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 I love too hearing that you just, you said you went to Vegas, you loved it. You moved, got a place there, just kind of knew what your dream was and what you wanted to do. And, and you really just kind of live it, right? You, you, uh, you went out there and, and you've been in poker and, and doing it ever since. And it's, uh, I love the stories about the Dominican and, and India and all this type of stuff. And really uh, just, just yeah, that. An amazing career. I must say it's uh, I've been very blessed and, you know, when you think back when you're like 22 or something and you think that, wow, for the next 50 years, you're going to get to travel the world, do exactly what you want to do, make really good money and just enjoy life doing what you want to do. I mean, there's not many people in the world to get to say that. And I'm blessed that I'm one of them to do. And, uh, you know, I, I you know, I, and I realize it and but just my love I had for poker, I was always in the right spot, the right time, you know, perfect place in life, you know, where everything that happened to me just came at the perfect time, you know. Yeah, but you, I, mean, it, it, I believe in that, though, where they say uh, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So, I mean, a lot of that, too, is you, you put yourself in good situations, you're with the right people, you, know, you do the right things, you build your reputation, and then you get opportunity. I really did. I mean, I put on a tournament of champions of poker back in the 90s because it was a love that I wanted to do where for those that don't know about it, I wanted to pattern after tournament champions of golf, where you got to win a PGA tour event during the calendar year to get to play in it. Right. I thought that would be cool for poker. Yeah. So I put on an event where if you won a $200 tournament anywhere in the world during that calendar year, you could play in the tournament champions of poker. And that's how it worked. And in addition to that, because I knew the high stakes players, Chip, Noel, all these guys, you know, if I want to have the greatest event in poker, I needed them to play. So I thought, well, how can I get them in? So I said, anyone that's won a World Series of Poker bracelet is eligible to play in the Tournament of Champions for life. Right. So now all the great players got in because of that exemption as well. And so I did it for three years, and putting that event on really put me on the map, not only 
the, the poker players knew me, but the industry didn't really know me until I did that. And had I not put that on, I'd have never got a job with party poker. I'd have never got a job with the world poker tour. And so everything falls into place, you know, and that's how it all happened. And, uh, it's awesome. I turned from a player to, you know, on the business side of poker, just like that, because I wanted to put on that one event that I loved that to this day, incidentally, I think is the best event in poker history. And I always believe that. And if you talk to anybody that plays in it, I believe they'd say the same thing. Yeah, it's, 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 that's definitely. You know, I had the players marching in with flags from their country. I had a band every night. I had a big dance floor out there. I had collages of all the great players. I put on a multi-event final, meaning it wasn't just no lemon hold'em. You had to play multiple games to win this title. You played seven-card stud. You played Omaha high-low. You played lemon hold'em. And if you got to the last three tables, it was strictly no lemon hold'em from their end. And then people said, well, nobody will come and play in that. They're not going to play multiple games. But I believed in my heart, with all my heart, that if somebody qualified, they would learn how to play other games they didn't know how to play and would come play in it. And that's what happened. That's and very cool. It shows you back then, 1990, I had 775 players, I think, or 85 players in my tournament of champions. And two months later, the main event of the World Series of Poker had 399 players in it. So I literally had twice as many players as the main event of the World Series of Poker. That's so that's pretty, pretty, cool. pretty cool. It really is cool. And what, and what about the uh, Poker Hall of Fame? How, how is that? Uh, what is that when you got inducted to that? And, and how do you feel the processes on that? Do you think they do a good job in, in making the right choices and getting the well, right Well, for years, almost up to my induction in the Hall of Fame, in fact, they just had a few guys, Jack Benyon. He'd asked, oh, who do you think needs to go in the Hall of Fame this year? Boom, that's who went in. You know, it was just like a little club, and those guys decided who went in the Hall of Fame. Finally, the year I got inducted, they had nominations. They took the top ten nominees, and then they let the press and the Hall of Fame members vote. And to get in the Hall of Fame, you had to have 70% of the vote, or you didn't get in. And the year I got inducted, I was the only one that got over 70% of the vote. So I was the only inductee that year. And now because there were so many players, they made a, a rule after that year that they would take the top two vote getters that they would get in the next, you know, so there's always going to be two more in. So uh, it's a trivia question. I was the first player actually voted in the Hall of Fame. And I was the only one player in the Hall of Fame here that I was inducted. So, you know, but that was very special to me. And I was so blessed that I got a big induction ceremony that was put on by the World Series of Poker. And I mean, it was a jam-packed ballroom that we sold out. And it was packed. It's the greatest Hall of Fame induction of all time. And I was blessed that that happened. And uh, What year was that? I still have videos of it. I'll send you one one time if you want to watch it because it's, yeah. a, it's just a fantastic show. And, uh, you know, but for me to get in the Hall of Fame with the idols that I had in the poker world, you know, like I said, all those high-stakes guys, you know, that are in the Hall of Fame, Chip Reese's, the Doyle Brunson's, the Stu Ungers, the Puggy Pearson's, the Johnny Moss's, you know, all these guys that were my idols when I was coming up. And to get in a club with those guys just meant the world to me. And, uh, you know, it, it was really special. And obviously it's the highest honor you can receive in poker because it's not about having one good year, winning a couple of titles, uh, you know, getting a good rush of poker. This is a career achievement award just like all the Hall of Fames. And, you know, there's nothing higher than that. My only sadness is is that we don't have some kind of shrine or exhibition in Las Vegas 
a tourist can come in and, and find where the Hall of Fame members are. Seems I like in downtown Binion's, you know, I think they do have pictures of the Hall of Fame guys on the wall. And, uh, uh, you know, but I think every year at the World Series of Poker, they should allocate some kind of little spot where you put all the Hall of Fame members up there. You know, not as big as they do with the, the world champions of poker and the, the player of the year type of thing. Right. Just a small one where people can go in and see who's in the Poker Hall of Fame. You I know, agree. I that think it should be done, and not enough is done about it, but nobody's there to organize it or do it. It just right. never happens. Yeah, that would that would be nice to to uh, to get that get that sorted out. Who uh, who who on your well? Let me ask it this way: Which place I should say out of the stops? And sorry, you were inducted what year to the Hall of Fame? Seven. Two thousand nine. Nine. And and uh, when were you able to start playing those WPT events? Because you said for a while that was part of. The- uh, I think about two thousand nine. To be honest with you. And what what was the change in that? Because that had to be, you had to love to hear that. Well, it was a big change for us because the first seven, eight years that we weren't allowed to play, we'd just fly in the night before the final table, do the final table, and fly out the day after, you know. But now Steve Lipson was smart enough to sign casinos that were charter members of the World Poker Tour up on 10-year contracts. So now when he got to the point about eight years where it's time to start renewing these contracts, you know, he thought to provide the casino, uh, you know, a little more WPT atmosphere that – he'd have Vince and I come out and spend the whole week there during the tournament, you know, with the players, do dinners with the staff, all this kind of stuff, and provide a better WPT experience for them. So once he did that, he said, well, since you guys can come out on day one, you know, you can go ahead and play the tournaments now. I think it was actually Adam Pliska that did that. But uh, so anyway, that's how it happened. So once we could go out and start playing events, you know, I like to play them. So I played in a number of them each year. Now, there was a few that we had charity events or some special dinner or something that was scheduled where I couldn't play it. But if there wasn't anything scheduled, I played. Vince played in a couple, but not too many. He much preferred playing in the cash games. You know, he didn't have the patience for tournaments. But I love the tournaments and to see how I battle with these guys. Yeah. yeah and then I made a couple final tables, which I loved. And uh, then obviously, uh, once they allowed the Champions Club members for to play in the tournament of champions, that's the only way you could get in. Then I really, really wanted to win the WPT title so I could play in that. And then fortunately it happened for me in Montreal. But uh that's how it happened. Yeah, that's that's that was a, that was a special one. What what's your what what is your favorite stop out of all the places and, and you know I I mean I'm I think I know I think we've spoken about it, but in terms of venue but also location, give me give me both or what, what, yeah. what do you think the most special well, are? Probably like most players, and I like places where you win. That's and good. I'm like, That's good and I'm not draw because I've won there, but I won good in Paris, so I love there. And I did very, very well at Foxwoods. Hmm. And I always love going to Foxwoods as well. So those three places were the biggest three places that I won at. So uh, I, I put those at the top of the list. Yeah, I, I playground's my favorite. I, it's also been good to me, but also the, the just the little the how they do it, how it's operated there. Montreal's an amazing city. I, I have a big, big love for that place. And I think you would you say what about what about actual places though, in terms of like cities or venues that you like the most? Or I don't want to put you on the spot. I know you're like kind of oh, the yeah, guy. No, I don't I mean, you know, certainly obviously going down to uh Hollywood, Florida. For our event at the Hard Rock, I mean that's a fun place to go to. Yeah, the like guitar is very. I love going to Borgata because uh, you know I love Borgata. Now 
I'd only go out with uh, with Vince when I go to White Castle because we love the the sandwiches there at that place. White House. Yeah, the White House. Yeah, that's what it was. And Vince and his dad's pictures up on the wall in that place, ironically, with some okay. celebrities. But uh, so we'd go there once in a while. But I never left the casinos in most places that I went to. I mean, I wasn't there to tour around or none of that. I was just happy staying in the casino mostly for the most part when I went to poker events because I was playing poker most of the time. And uh, so, you know, I, I'm not a big tourist when I go out to play in these events. Right. I'm only in the casino that I'm at. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Um, let's see. We'll take a couple more here. We've covered, we've definitely covered a lot. What about favorite movie or show? Do you have any, any movie you love? What's the best, what's the best non-rounders poker movie? Do you have any ones you like? Any, any poker movies? Oh gosh. I wish they'd finally get a poker movie, right? You know, that's average. He rails it like he used better than uh, rounders. And that's because he's in it obviously. And, and, uh, but the truth is it wasn't bad till the ending and the ending was so horrible that I just couldn't stand it where with three players left in the main event of a world poker tour championship that the son folded aces against Kings all in on the river against his dad. So his dad would get the chips that wouldn't happen in a million years. Nobody's folding there. And if you're going to dump your chips off your dad, you're at least going to wait until you get a heads up to do it. Because right. he didn't have to win, and he didn't win, incidentally. So yeah. that ending, it just put a big X on that movie for me. Yeah. yeah so I that forgot didn't. about that, but you're right. I do remember but, now. That uh, big hand for a little lady I liked. You know, five-card stud I liked. Now, these are old, old-time movies that new people probably have never heard of. Well, that's but. good. That's what we want to do. I, I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, and five cards said with Steve McQueen, and uh, I'll say this: I wonder what you think about this idea because this is this uh, the absolute poker. So there's this book by the guy Ben Misrich, I believe his name is, the one who did Bringing Down the House and the Social Experiment. Have you or the Social Network? Have you heard of this book called Straight Flush? No, it's a it's a story about a fraternity brothers from I believe Montana that started absolute poker and moved down to Costa Rica. But if you're thinking of like a, it's kind of got the 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 feel. The look of if you if you think about an exciting movie, fraternity college kids go down to Costa Rica, they build a poker site, turns into a billion dollar company. I mean, to me, that sounds like a pretty good script. Like twenty one, you know, you got you got a group. It's like exciting. There's gambling. There's all this stuff with it. So I, I, I paradise poker, right? Yes, about paradise. Yeah. Do you know anything about? Were you in tune with the competitors? Were you guys like up on who was doing party poker? Paradise poker was at the top. And none of us, I mean, nobody, not me, not anybody, thought anybody would ever catch Paradise Poker. Nobody thought they'd have a chance to catch him. But I said to our people, I said, let me tell you how you can catch him. There's one in one way and only one way only in my mind. And that's to put in multi-table tournaments. They only had single-table tournaments at Paradise Poker. They never had multiple-table tournaments. And players love multiple-table tournaments because you could take $20 and win $1,000. Hmm. You know, whereas if you played a multiple table tournament, you'd only win a hundred dollars for that 20, you know, and people love tournament poker. They like to take a toothpick and turn it into a lumber yard. And that's the beauty of why play, people play tournaments. It's the lottery of poker right. and uh, players are trying to make a big score. And you can only do that playing in big tournaments with a big number of people. So my software guy said, geez, that's hard to build that software for that. I said, well, I don't care how hard it is. Get started on it. Because if, if we ever want to get it going, where we're going to topple them, you got to have it. And so they did. They started on it. And we had it ready finally, as I said, for the semifinals of the party poker uh, million. Now, that was just a limit poker tournament. That wasn't no limit. 
Right. So that's a little bit easier for him. But, uh, you know, fortunately, uh, that worked out and we didn't crash. It, and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't until later that we did no limit. You know, most so crazy. Things. Like, that just seems like such a slam dunk. But I guess that makes sense. Maybe it was partly the. the it's tough. The software is tough to build for that, especially yeah. knowing the yeah, it's uh, I, I could see how that's and it's funny because fantasy football basically is copied poker. I mean, you look at the daily fantasy, same thing. There's heads ups. They have single table, like nine, ten person. Then they have the the multis. It's the same. They literally took poker and made a blueprint and did it for fantasy. So it's yeah, uh, yeah it's definitely definitely prevalent and uh, it, it makes sense. I mean, Mike. So guys, if you didn't know, here he is, Mike Sexton. This is literally. The 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 uh these some of these things are are massive in terms of the trajectory of online poker and just poker in general. I mean, you were basically the ambassador. Uh, I think that's actually your nickname. People call you the ambassador of poker. I mean, it's pretty. You, you're the face for for no question. People can say that you are the, uh, the the face. I would say of poker. At least I would I would say that, and I think that a lot of people would say that. So again, I, I really thank you for coming on here today and, and we'll take a few more questions if you got to kick me off let me know but you got we got we got the setup right the camera the video everything looks good and and you're uh you're going above and beyond man i appreciate no, you cool. taking time I love uh, it. Let, let's hit a, a few more um uh oh what do you think about the mike Postle scandal because obviously you are being with the world poker tour and whole cards right there's this level of uh sort of understanding and how it all works what do you think about this whole scandal and and this sort of died down a bit but there was like this was the, the talk of the poker for a while and, and what was going on with some of these live streams uh, what, what do you think about this well look it's always a fear i mean if you don't have security in place you know it can happen i mean uh, sadly uh uh you know you have to have security in place and on the world poker tour when they first started i mean they had one guy in there that operated the camera. He couldn't come out of the room and security guard outside the door where nobody else can get in, you know? And, and, uh, you know, but as it evolved, you know, even we got looser and looser with that a little bit, but, uh, uh, you know, it, the Mike Postle thing, I so admire Joy Ingram, even Doug Polk guys that spent so much time, you know, investigating this and going through all this. And obviously when you look at his investigation, you know, you can't come to the, conclusion other than he's guilty and and you know it's just uh it's sad to see but as we know you know in poker or any other business i don't care what it is if people think they can scam or do something uh to give them an edge or an advantage it's going to happen i mean people walk in casinos every day trying to figure out how they can beat it for something you know and where there's money involved those things happen so you know i tell everybody when you're in a poker game, I don't care if you're in a casino or a private game, you know, you have to trust the casino that's running the game or the people that are playing in the private game. And if at any time you feel uneasy for any minute, for any reason, you need to get up and quit the game because you're not going to play well if there's a fear that guys are playing together or something's happening over here or, you know, this guy's reading somebody's cards or, you know, if there's a fear of any of that kind of stuff, you're not going to play well. You need to get out of the game. Even if nothing's happening, it's just not going to be a game that you're going to do well in if you have that kind of fear. So, uh, you know, I feel the same thing, you know, in any kind of, whether it's a live stream, whether it's a home game in L.A., which you played a lot of those and been to them. And, you know, uh, uh, you, know you, you just have to trust the people running the games and trust the players you're playing with. And uh, But with big money, anything can happen. We know that. 
Yeah, got to got to got to be alert and got to be uh, got to be smart. I also think some of that was a little peculiar just because I, I just think some of the people who are doing the live stream commentary. You know, this happened for 40 or 50 or 60 or something amount of times. Like if I saw just seeing some of that footage, if I saw one or two plays or three or four times where the guy's laying down like two pair in an innocuous spot on a board, there's no straight, no flush and he's folding two pair or just calling and, you know, like stuff kind of rings of an alarm bell. And you even saw some of the announcers being like, Oh my God, like this guy, this is amazing. It's like, yeah, well, like, you know, I, I don't know. Just kind of that, that, that's what threw me off. I just didn't know. Uh, how. We've seen it over the years. We saw what happened with ultimate bet. You yeah. know how terrible that was. We've seen uh, just recently when Bill Perkins was complaining, uh, you know, the guys were ghosting yeah. you know, in games, you know, playing for some businessman, getting a sharp pro to play for him. You know, these things happen. Right. You know about it? No, you probably don't know about it. And uh, you yeah. may recognize as a player that, hey, you know, how's this guy making such good plays today when he normally doesn't do it? And, uh, you know, as I said, you got to trust the players you're with, but, when there's big money involved, these kind of things are going to happen. Yeah. All right. I want to. I want to. I agree. I wanted to ask you also about innovations with Twitch and YouTube, and and just in general. What are your thoughts about content, and and do you feel that uh, do you feel Twitch and YouTube are important parts of the game in terms of growing, expanding, and and just uh, you know also World Poker Tour. I see Tony Lingell Martin doing some streaming. I think Vince maybe did some, or they had Matt Savage on there. But just kind of this uh, this content, the creation that's going on these days in poker. What are your what are your thoughts on that? Well, I really do. Is obviously it's been proven over the years. You know how many viewers are coming in to watch Twitch now, and uh, uh, you know I think it's fantastic. What you guys do, you know, I like to come and watch you once in a while. And Jamie Staple, I watch him once in a while because I'm not in online poker anymore here living in the States. I don't get to play on party poker. I've never played on another site in my life. And, you know, since party poker left, I just don't play online poker unless I'm in Canada or I'm in England, you know, where I can play on party. But other than that, you know, I go to watch the, the Twitch as well. And, uh, yeah, uh, you know, but it's a good way players can learn, you know, and, and, you know, the, your commentary while you're playing, explaining what you're doing, you know, I think does help a lot of new common players. And I think that's fantastic for them. You know, me, I get asked a lot, you know, what do you do now? Uh, do you train? Do you read books? Do you get in groups and uh, GTOs and go over this and that? And, and, I, was, as well, yeah. know, and uh, I don't do any of that anymore. But what I do do is when any high stakes tournament is on, whether it's on Poker Go or on Party Poker, you know, I watch it because I like to watch the best players in the world. I like to see what they do. And I do believe that you can learn a lot from watching them, especially in terms of like bet sizing, for example, and how and when you can take a pot away from somebody. And watching these guys do it, it's impressive. And, uh, you know, so I do think watching the best players play will definitely help your game. But uh, I don't read the books. I don't get in groups. I don't do any of that anymore. I'm at the stage in my life I don't play that many tournaments anymore. You know, I feel like I can still hold my own, you know, and uh, I know players are better than me now, but, you know, I'll just give them the best I got. But uh, yeah. I, I do watch. It's like I, I do a lot with poker already, right? It's like studying's good. It's good to be up in, in tune, but there's other hobbies, golf or whatever it might be, and then your family. It's like there's only so much time, and at some point – it's like, all right, look, I played enough poker. I have some experience on a given tournament. I feel like I can win. But, yeah, am I doing the GTO up to date? Do I know every spot and, and what – you know, not necessarily. But it's like you you get – you put you in a WPT, you know you got a chance to win. 
and me too. I know I could win it. And we know we're not going to be uncomfortable or, you know, it's not like we're never going to have seen the spot before. And we'll try to do the best, best we can. And uh, it's still fun. Anyone can win. Uh, I don't care care what anyone tells you. You got to be so lucky to win tournaments. I don't care who you are. I don't care how good you are. You got to win races. People ask me when I won Montreal, what'd you do different in this tournament than the other WPT? I said, I didn't do anything different. I just got lucky. And I really got lucky in that event. For example, with 49 players left in that tournament, okay? A guy raised, I had two black nines, not that many chips. I went all in. Jake Schwartz sitting right behind me. He goes all in. The other guy goes all in. We turn up our cars. I got two black nines. Jake Schwartz has two aces. The other guy's got ace, king of diamonds, okay? The flop comes 10-7-3 with two diamonds. Hmm. I've got two black nines. I'm all in with 49 wow. players there. It comes five of spade. I said, put the nine of hearts out there. It's the only card I could win with. One out, boom, a nine of hearts on the river. Wow. And Adam Stroll, who's the producer of the show, we went on break right after that hand. He came up to me. You're going to win this tournament, man. I know you're going to win this tournament. You're going to win this tournament. And I said, well, sure, you know, 49 players, you know, long way to go here. But I tripled up and had some chips in. And on every break, he'd come up to me. You're going to win. I know you're going to win. I know you're going to win. And sure enough, I did end up winning it. And uh, But even with 12 players left, I was all in the king, queen of clubs against Emma Z, who had ace queen, and I spiked the king to stay alive. And then luckily I was chip leader at the final table. And then when I got heads up, I was behind the guy almost the whole way. We played like 275 hands, heads up. I think he had the chip lead for 274 of them. Right. That's a long battle, too. 275, that I just battled with a short stack. Probably a lot of hands I should have called. The GTO guys would have. I hung on to my few chips for what I had, and it paid off for me. And, uh, and but I got lucky to win that tournament. Just that right. simple. But it's it's crazy because, like you're saying, but yeah, it's, about, it's about volume too. Because there's other times in World Poker Tours, you final table, you get a bad beat, or you know, it's about being there. You got to show up. It's a math game. There's a hundred left. There's fifty left. There's ten left. There's five left. You get down to five or four enough, you're gonna win. It does. You know, that's just yeah, that's how. And you get knocked out enough times, and you get in that spot, and you say, okay, what's gonna happen to me here? When you get in with the bed and boom, and then it happens. And then you're out again, you know. As you know, tournament poker is brutal. And if you're not mentally tough, you can't take it. You better not get into it. But, you, better uh, not, you better stay out of the kitchen, that's for sure. Let me tell you something. When you win a big-time tournament, whether it's a WPT event, WSOP bracelet, you know, a millions event, when you win one of those, it makes up for all the bad beats, for all the losses in the history of poker, and you realize the joy, the satisfaction, the sense of achievement, the thrill of victory, and all those things wash away all that bad stuff together. And, boy, it's just a feeling that I really wish every poker player could experience at one point in their life. I really do, because it does make up for all the bad times and tough times. For sure. It's like golf. It's like uh, you got one great shot. keeps you coming back, you know, and it's like uh, it's it just it's so true. You got to You got to hang in there and you got to be tough. And it teaches so many lessons, whether you do win or if you're winning or losing player, there's still value that can be taken from it. And it's just important not to overdo it. You really you know, don't want to beat it home or, you know, put on this all uh, gamblers anonymous, this type of stuff. But just really be responsible. You know, it's like know what you're well, know what you're able to spend and, and have a limit, whether you know, and if you win, that's great. And if you lose. You don't want it to, to, to affect your mood or your day. So I think that's easier said than done, but you know, hopefully most of us abide by that. Um, all right, let's take uh, – Stu, let's take one more, and then we'll, we'll do this $55 giveaway. 
Um, actually, how about this? Actually, before too, I want one more thing. But favorite tournament that you commentate on? Was there any tournament? I guess Devilfish put on an epic performance and won. You know, which a, a legend again. Any other ones that stand out that were just being a part of were so special? Yeah, they really are. They really are. It's when Doyle Brunson won his WPT title. It was at the Bicycle Casino. I think it was in our second or third year, and we'd never had a world champion win a WPT title at that time. I was good friends with the world because we played a lot of golf together. And, and uh, you know, so I was really pulling for him to win this final table, and he won it. And that just was really like my happiest day as a commentator uh, when Doyle won his title because the credibility of a world champion winning a WPT title I thought was big at the time. And then uh, we had a number of them come after him, Dan Harrington and Joe Hash and some others. But, uh, uh, you know, but that was uh, – that was cool for me to see him win that. That's awesome. And he's the only player to this day to ever won a WPT title. He was 72, I think. And okay. I think that's still the record for a WPT main event in terms of age to win a, to win a title. Man, I would love to get, get Doyle on. I, 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 we follow each other on Twitter. I got to send him a message. He's, uh, it's amazing he still plays. He's sharp. I mean, the guy, one of the more impressive people, right? I mean, he's basically the godfather of poker. The story, like, I, I mean, to be a fly on the wall for his, uh, for his life, the stories and the, and the traveling around Texas and the robberies and the, the, you know, all the crazy stuff. I mean, he really has amassed amount of wealth from playing. And, you know, he's obviously run some rooms and done other stuff. But that, that, that is basically the guy in poker. I mean, that's just really done it all. Players now, nowadays, I don't think they give respect for the real pioneers in the poker world. I'm talking about guys like Doyle and Johnny Moss and Puggy Pierce, guys that drove the road down in Texas, you know, uh, along the white line. And as Johnny Moss would tell me, the easiest part was beating the game. The tough part was getting out of town with the money. He had the hijackers, the robbers, the cops, busting the game and all this and that. And that was so true. And then these guys came to Las Vegas, you know, and then a few of them started the World Series of Poker where they put up $10,000 Back in 1970, the main entry event is still the same today as it was then, you know, 50 years ago. That, that buy-in never changed. And, uh, you know, you have to respect those guys for, for doing that because otherwise, who knows where poker will be? You know, the World Series of Poker not started, you know, uh, would there be poker? Would it happen? Uh, who knows? But uh, that was the key to it, and it's the old-timers that did it. But if you look at the Poker Hall of Fame, you know, here's a pretty interesting stat. There's only one player that won the main event in the 70s and one player who won the main event in the 80s that are not in the Poker Hall of Fame. All the other winners of the main event were in the Poker Hall of Fame. Can you name the two players that aren't in the Hall of Fame? Who in the 1970s won the main event and is not in the Hall of Fame? Tip was the first amateur to ever win the World Poker main event, the WSOP. I don't know. Hal Fowler is his name. 1979, Hal Fowler. Oh, okay. Bobby Hoffman about three times to win, and Bobby Hoff never got over it, incidentally. And wow. uh, and then there's only one player in the '80s, 1985, and it was uh, Hal Smith. So they took his picture down. He's the only guy that didn't have his picture up in the World Series. Well, on the walls, incidentally, you know, other than Russ, they took him down too. I think yeah, Russ after the old Mavet thing, but he didn't have it down because his family he had died. And his family had gone to the World Series, say, we want to get paid if you're putting his picture up there. And they told him to screw off, we'll do without his picture. So they took his picture down, and it's not up there now. Can you imagine, that as a family, why you wouldn't want that picture on the wall? It just blows my mind. Wow. But uh, 
that's why his picture's not up there. But it's pretty weird that, uh, you know, I mean, what an honor to get your picture on the wall. Jeez, and then that, that, that's that's man interesting that's also very interesting did not know that uh what what are your i let me speaking on that i mike i feel like i'm never we're gonna have to like i'm literally gonna have to put a timeline because i'm just gonna keep digging at things i need i want to ask and talk about because it's fascinating to me and you really do know like the whole history and the people and all this but the russ hamilton thing how like how did that dissolve with absolute bet what did they come down all uh it was absolute bet and ultimate i'm sorry absolute and ultimate bet were combined, right? It was like a skin. They were with each other yeah. and ultimate bet. Would, did they come down with black Friday and then later it was found out, or I forget how that broke that story or with the ultimate bet. I mean, it was outlier. It was a ridiculous situation with the cheating and how obvious it was and, you know, where yeah. it stood out. But- came down before black Friday and, uh, it was a horrible thing. They obviously had a way of seeing an, an opponent's cards where you could be playing in the game and you see your opponent's cards. Mm. And that's what the scandal was all about. And then with a rest plate, we had other people play, you know, and they played around the clock. But what happened was they'd get too greedy and, you know, they'd lay down two kings when you could never lay them down. Uh, they would call with Jack High when you could never call with Jack High. And they'd win all these pots. And there were a couple of players playing on the site who you have to salute that said, hey, something's going on here. And they started doing a history of all these things and did a history and ran it through some computer and said, well, not one out of a million times could a guy make all these correct decisions that many times in a row kind of thing, you know? So they investigated it and they found it out. And uh, so he, he didn't, I, I heard he plays somewhere in Florida still. He's around like people still get more. You know, Russ is. And I, I got a funny story about Russ, if you want to know it. And, yeah, uh, please. Okay. <laughs> Now, this is long after the scandal, and I'm playing golf at uh, in Las Vegas, the Spanish Trail. And I'm out practicing, and I'm with Richie, my friend, and we're just practicing. And now here comes Russ around the corner, and he's playing with another guy that I knew who was a real high-stakes gambler. And Russ was laughing and joking. He said, Mike, he said, you got to come join us. He said, we're horrible. We're playing terrible. We're only playing 25000 a hole. And, uh, you know, come and play with us, 25000 in the hole, yeah. And uh, I said, uh, you know, now I knew Russ because he used to run golf tournaments, and I played golf with him a number of times. And I've, I've seen golf. He can shoot par, you know, 36, 37, 38. I've seen him do it. And, you know, he'll lose a couple of days in a row, then all the bets go up, and then, boom, he shoots 37 on the last nine or something to win all the money. But anyway, so – I'm scared of Russ on the golf course, you know, because I know he can play. But now he shows me a script that we're playing horrible, you know. And he said, come join us. And I said, okay. I said, I'll come play. He said, but I'm only playing for 5000 a hole. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. So now we play the first hole. I win the hole with a bogey. We play the second hole. I win another hole with a bogey. You know, so now I'm up 10000 Okay. I win the third hole. I win the fourth hole. I'm up 20000 after four holes. And he hadn't made a par. He hadn't done anything. I've made one par in four holes and three bogeys, and I'm up 20000 And now he says, let's play 10000 a hole. I said, okay. So now I win, we tie one hole, and I win two more holes. So now I'm up 60000 I mean, I'm up 40000 okay? And uh, so now he said, let's play for 20000 a hole. So now I'm up 50000 here. So I said, okay. So I end up winning, and somehow I'm up 80000 going into the last hole. Okay. I won't ever, he hadn't won a hole. 
We tied one hole. I won every other hole. Here comes a hundred. I'm not playing lights out. I've made like three pars. Yeah. You know, and five bogeys. And uh, he's hacking it all over the place. Now he's playing this other guy for 25,000 a hole. And the other guy's hacking it around too. I'm not betting the other guy. So I'm just betting Russ. Now we get to the last hole, which is a par five. And now he says, you know, I'm up 80,000 here. And he said, uh, he said, let's bet the whole 80,000 on this hole. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, I don't want to. And I'm not going to, I was up 60,000, not 80. Excuse me, I'm up 60,000. He wants to bet the whole 80,000 with the whole 60,000 on the last hole. All right. And I said, no, nah, because I know what's going to happen maybe on the last hole. I'm not wasting all this time. I've won. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I said, I'll bet you 20,000 on the last hole. And uh, he said, okay, bet. So I won the last hole with a par. So I'm up 80,000 after yeah. nine holes, you know. He's laughing and joking, never whining. He goes to his golf bag. He gets out 80,000 in Bellagio chips and hands them to me right on the spot, you know. And now that's the last day I've ever seen Russ Hamilton in my life was that day that we played nine holes. And it turns out right after that, the, the scandal broke loose. And uh, so then I figured out how he was getting all his money, you know, and how it came in and why he was laughing and joking and gambling so high because he didn't care. Wow. But it was after that that the scandal broke loose and then I figured out what was happening. And, uh, but the day I met him and I kept waiting to get the phone call the next day, Hey, come on out. Let's play 50,000 a hole, blah, blah, blah. We're just going to hustle it back. And I was in shock that he never called me. I was in shock. He never tried to hustle it back, but he never did. But, was and, it, but, but that was soon after that happened or the scandal happened or no, just, he never called it just later no, on years. Later. It happened after that. The scandal broke years later. No, months later, probably. Oh, oh, so pretty recent. Pretty yeah. It was months later that the scandal broke. Wow. After the, the last so one. He was just tipping. He was out tipping $1,000 chips and betting. betting he was probably right. jumping off me because he's betting this guy 25000 a hole. And this guy's going to come back tomorrow and maybe play 50000 a hole. I don't know. Wow. But I know Rick, one of the great hustlers of all time, whether it's in golf, poker, whatever it is, you know, he, he he's sharp. He's very sharp, which is I was in shock when I learned of this candle because Russ is just too smart to ever call with nine high or call with 10 high or never not lose some hands. He's just not that smart to win every single pot when he can see the other guys' cards. And so I know he had partners in there that were playing and were just greedy. We're getting a piece of the action and wanted to win the most they could win. And, you know, who they come up, who they were, you know, I have a good idea, but then they never came out. But, uh, you know, uh, then him and then I already went to Bermuda and then back to Florida and I never remember. Yeah. So I don't know where he is. Did he never, did he never really get caught? Like, do you know, was there any reprehension, any, any punishment for all that? Like they paid, I mean, what? It's amazing. I don't know anything happened. And, uh, you know, I know the site tried to make amends and they started giving refunds to the player. I can remember Bobby Hoff. I saw him one day. Now Bobby Hoff finished second to Al Fowler in that 79 main event, but he used to play the road in Texas. And he was a very funny guy. And uh, I can remember the first time, second time maybe, we had a WPT event at the Commerce Casino. Now, Bobby Hoff was a prop there at that time. Okay. And I'm talking to him, and a guy comes up to us. says, oh, my God, I can't believe it. It's Bobby Hoff and, 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 and Mike Sexton. I just can't believe it. Can I get a picture with you guys? I said, well, sure. So he comes up, and he takes our picture, and the guy's walking away. 
And Bobby Hoff looks at me. He said, you know, he said, that's the first time that I've ever had my picture taken with regards to poker that I wasn't fingerprinted at the same time. And it was the funniest thing, <laughs> you know, because they used to get busted, you know, and uh, they'd fingerprint them and take their picture. It was so funny. But anyway, uh, the next story with Hal Fowler and Bobby Hoff that I was telling you about, uh, it was a great story. What was it? Well, I lost my train of thought because the first story was so good. The well, you said you he you just said they took a picture with you with you. Were, oh yeah, before that, what was I talking about? Uh, we were talking about it was. Talking about, it was uh, oh, I know, it was the ultimate bet scandal. Yeah, ultimate bet. Okay, I'm at the commerce, and he comes up to me. He said, "I can't believe it. I just can't believe it." I said, "What happened?" He said, "I looked at my ultimate bet account, and there was fourteen hundred dollars added extra in my account." He said, no, I know I was cheated for a lot more than that on all of a bet. And that I've been cheated a lot of times before in a lot of games. He said, but this is the first time anybody ever gave me anything back. He said, <laughs> that, he just that, was funny that he that got is, something back. That is, uh, that is something. It's true. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the Man, I was just taking so Okay, ultimate bet. That that scandal. What uh, – oh, man, I had something I really wanted to ask you, and I just totally – Blacked out, man. We have covered. We have. We have definitely covered a lot of stuff. So that was that. What was the uh, what was the largest go- used to put? What that's a that's a big golf game. So you were playing. I mean, those guys. I and mean, there's some legendary stories of these the the gambling. But I mean, what's the biggest per hole you've ever seen or been on the course? And whether you were there or saw per hole. Or- oh gosh, there's some big matches I know, and uh, you don't have I to name names. I played some huge matches with Phil Ivey. You know, the day before I got matches, I staked the guy. We lost three hundred thousand to Phil Ivey. And now the next day I was getting married and now we were in Hawaii and that night I met him at the bar and I was shocked. The guy stake lost 300,000 and I had to figure out how to get it back. So I was trying to figure out a golf match that I could play against Ivy the next day. And I said, look, I'll give you your choice. You know, we'll play 50,000 Nassau and I'll give you your choice where you can be with your partner. You and I'll be on the same tees. You'll be on one set of tees back. And we can play best ball or we can scramble. I'll scramble my ball against you guys scrambling yours. You can pick. Right. So they huddled up and they picked to play best ball. So I played two separate best balls. And on that wedding day, I won 320000 That was on your wedding day in Hawaii. On my wedding day. And that's why I'll never forget my wedding day, even though the marriage only lasted six and a half years. But I'll never forget the wedding day because I won the most money I ever won on the golf course by far. And I won 300,000 in bets and 20,000 in props where I ended up coming out ahead for the two days. So it was very nice. What, what, that was what year? That was in, uh, we got married in 2007. Wow. So, okay. Geez. So yeah, those are some big games. That's, that's crazy, yeah. man. I, I, I never, I don't quite get, I guess it makes sense. Golf's a great game to bet. You can handicap. It's fun, but it just, it just to me, it's wild how, uh, how many people really, the, the, the amount of large wagers I hear. It's just, I guess it's something that's part of like. In the old days, every high stakes poker player, almost everyone played golf and they all played for high stakes. Almost every golfer, every yeah. poker player played high stakes. When the new generation came around, a lot of the really high stakes players, they played golf. They started playing golf. Huck Seed, Phil Ivey, Daniel Negrano, and, and so many others. And, uh, you know, so it's just been a tradition that, you know, golf is always the way uh, that you can gamble because, truthfully, it's the greatest game in the world to gamble on. There is no better game than golf to gamble on because no matter what the skill level difference is between players, you can always handicap to make the match even. 
Right. You can make one guy play with his whole set of clubs, and this guy's got to play with two clubs or three clubs. You can spot a guy distance off the tee. You can spot him strokes. It doesn't matter. There's always ways you can spot a guy to make the match even, and it's fun to set up different handicaps. Right. And, uh, you know, it's just – it's great because, as I said, the skill difference doesn't matter. It's all about handicapping and, right. and uh, you know, yeah. and it's yeah. fun. It's really fun. Yeah, it's that is uh that that's interesting. That's inter- and it makes sense. It's just one of those things in Vegas. A lot of nice courses, and it, you yeah. get outside, get some air. Not not, not a all, man, the last six years, I would say. You know, none of the new poker players. There's a few, but not that many play really high stakes golf. Uh, yeah, you know. it's fun. I've gotten into it recently. It really is a great game. And again, you can just you can get to know someone. You get to hang out, spend time, see how they handle yeah. themselves, win or lose. It's it's cool. How much are you golfing still? I really haven't played much golf in the last couple of years, honestly. Uh, I want to play once last yeah. year and just haven't played any golf anymore. I'd like to get back to it because I'd like to get back outside and get in the fresh air and get some exercise, but uh, I just haven't played lately. For sure. All right. Well, Mike, I think, uh, I think we have, we have literally covered, we've covered a ton. I've, I've actually, you know, I like to say we've had some nice dinners over the years on, on stops and I, I have a good idea about a lot some of the things you've talked about but it's so interesting to me because a lot of stuff is is new like I, I, there's stories or little anecdotes that i don't even know and again in the book life is a gamble this is something people can pick up and if you want to hear more of this type of stuff you can really you know you drop a lot of uh a lot of these type of of stories in in history it's it's fascinating and i really do appreciate the time look at it yeah players would like this and go to dnbpoker.com to get a copy or find it on amazon.com but i promise you there's a lot of stories in there. It's a lot of fun to read and uh, you will learn things. That's for sure about the game of life. And, and uh, it really is a fun read. That's awesome. Well, I, I three years old now doesn't matter. The stories are the same from the old school gamblers and the old school guys. And uh, you, you learn a lot. That's, that's, uh, that is for sure. Is there uh, any, any new, any guys on the tour before, like you, you've seen that, that really impress you right now? I mean, there's a lot of names. I'm sure you see some of the same names popping up and guys that are really crushing. Is there anyone though, from your booth experience that, that stood out to you? I mean, Darren Elias has won four times on the WPT. Pretty, pretty incredible. Uh, even now a couple of the high stakes guys, like a Chidwick, like a Brent Kenny, uh, you know, he stands out to me because he's not one of those solver guys and all that. He does it on his own, which is impressive to me. And, uh, you know, but uh, there's so many great players out there now. I really believe that the difference in the best player in the world, whoever it is, and the 1,000th best player is probably not 2% between them, if you want to know the truth about it. That's how good players are nowadays and how many good ones there are out there. So many good ones. Right. You know, and uh, I have respect. For so many, I have such respect for guys that play the tour because I, I know how tough it is. And, uh, you know, I salute them. I salute anybody who tries to play poker for a living. And I salute all the recreational players that love to just jump in and uh, take their chance playing some tournament poker because they enjoy it, may get lucky and win one. Who knows? But it's fun to play. And, uh, you know, come on out and play. Now they get a chance to play the WPT online events that we have on Party Poker. Yeah. Huge events coming up. Yeah. 
That's I'm July 17th till September 8th. And like you said, there's going to be actually people that get etched in stone on the trophy, 100 million guarantees, five people, I believe, will get their name on, uh, go to the yeah, TOC. Only one of them has a $10,000 buy-in, the main event. The rest are all 3,200 buy-ins with $5 million prize pools. Yeah. So it's huge. And uh, yeah, it's crazy. There's some high low too. Omaha high low. There's Omaha. It's not just on the limit. So it's a nice variety. And yeah. it is, uh, it's good to see that WPT pivot and party be able to come to an agreement, make, you know, merge the brands in this, in this format for online, because it's uh, it's a lot of work and there's a lot of, it's not just so easy as to say, Oh, let's do it. You know, there's a, there's a ton of planning also numbers, making sure it can hit guarantees. COVID's complicated. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's tricky. You play, you play online poker all the time. And you know the online world, and you probably be one of the first, like all the online players, would say it's tougher to win an online tournament than it is a live tournament, you know, kind of thing. And and uh, that may be true. I don't know because I don't play much online. But uh, I know that uh, the guys that win these five tournaments where they're giving away seats to the TOC, I know they're going to be well-worthy champions and deserve to have their name on the Champions Cup. So yeah. I want everybody to come out and play, try to win that title, there's nothing like it in the world. I can tell you that. And, uh, and the money is tremendous. So, yeah. you know, it's big money, big prestige. And, you know, a lot of times you just got to reach out and go for the gusto. You know, you, you can't win what you don't enter. And, uh, I say play satellites. If you don't have the big money, try to win a seat. Yeah. You know, I know from old experience, the first, probably the first six times at least that I played the main end of the world series, I had to win a seat and a satellite to get in it, or I wasn't going to get to play. So I understand satellites. I understand that you need to win one to get in. And I say, try them. Go for it. You know, go for the gusto. You might get in. You might get lucky. You might have a great tournament. And I will say too, on party, I think the best value is the satellites. There's a lot of like the 1Ks or 500s into the 10Ks, into the 5Ks. You know, there was a, there was one, a, uh, about a month ago where it was a 530 uh, phase where you get in, they do this for the, the, the phases into the 10K packages or into the 10K buy-in. But I had a $530 into the 5K into a 129K score. And those are those are some of the higher value tournaments are the the phases or the 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 satellites, you know, because yeah, 10K is a lot. Uh, it's it's nice if you can get in there for you try you know it might take you a couple times for five hundred or a thousand but then you save save some money and you get warmed up and and definitely party offers that so yeah again Mike and I could talk about party all day we love Rob Young we love party we love WPT I recommend satellites to win seats into the main events you know go for it you'll be happy you'll be thrilled that you did and even if you get knocked out feel good about yourself for at least giving yourself an opportunity you know to get in the big tournaments and, and take a shot on grabbing the gusto. So yes, fantastic monster events coming up. This WPT world online poker championship starting July 16th goes all the way to September 8th, I believe. Yeah. And $100 million, $100 million in number. prize money. So, you know, these events are going to be monsters. So certainly we love the support the WPT got in the last series. Hopefully we'll get that same kind of support for this one and good luck to everybody. You know, love to see you win a title. Yes, absolutely. We'll be there. It'll be fun. It'll be big. And it's, uh, it's also, it's, it's just great to see the brands uh, merging and making this happen. So Mike, let's do, let's do this. Uh, we'll do this $55 retweet. We are coming in on a two hour. Oh, that was someone. This is it. We're going to roll up. I keep saying last thing, but I was just thinking about Mike the mouth. Cause he was on for our record length podcast and he can definitely talk. His nickname is Mike the mouth. What about any Mike the mouth story? I know you know him well from, from back in the day and you battled with him a lot. 
Any, that any- a lot, that's for sure. And uh, believe me, back in the 90s, the late 90s, it was all lemon poker. But he was like the Omaha high-low king back then. And, uh, you know, he had a lot of game, had a lot of money. He stakes Scotty in the main event of the World Series. He stakes Scotty in the satellite. Scotty won the satellite. Obviously went on to win the main event. So he's had a lot of success that way. And then uh, we know he had some issues and uh, and whatnot. But uh, he's a funny guy. I can remember the day that party poker went public. The day they went public, I walked into Blasio. And as I was walking up on the balcony, Mike the Mouth Matisau stands up from one of the tables and screams out at the top of his lungs, what does it feel like to lose $500 million? And the whole room cracked up. Everybody cracked up in the whole room, including me. I cracked up, too, because he knew that had I kept my stock in party poker, I'd have made an extra $540 million. And I sold it you know, too early, obviously, but uh, I still did, did very well with him. But nothing like that, of course. But, uh, Actually, this, I have this in my notes to ask, and then I just decide. Now, I know we've talked about. It, I know you're comfortable comfortable about it because I, I believe how you phrased this was: you can't be results oriented. You I, you took a deal for a large sum. There was a lot of moving parts. It's complicated, and you can't say like, oh well, if I did this, it would have been that. But you know, he's making light of a pretty serious situation. You've obviously done well. And and you've you've you know you're gambling big big money big golf bets you're you've gotten great positions at some of the biggest companies you've done it all in poker but could you could you explain a little more what this actually this means yeah what happened was when I first made a deal with Party Poker I got six percent of the Party Poker site not the casino games and uh, you know a salary and blah 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 but uh, that was it so now three years have gone by we're becoming a big site you know a lot of money. But all the money from the, the shareholders and the stock, they're just putting back in the company, you know. And uh, so I never received any money from the stock. Now, I was the last shareholder in the U.S. at the time. They'd all moved out of the U.S. And they'd come back to Las Vegas for a big convention at Venetian where they were going to add a booth for party poker. It was actually at a sex convention, I think. But you'd be amazed how many affiliates they signed up <laughs> during these conventions. Right. So the four owners had come back to Las Vegas and they called me up and they said, would you come over to the Venetian and meet us? Uh, we'd like to talk to you about something. And uh, they said, would you be interested in selling your stock? And I said, well, I'd be interested in talking about it because I knew I could get rich. Now, basically, I was doing okay, but I didn't have any serious money at that time. But I knew I'd get serious money if I took the stock deal. And uh, so I met all four of them over at the Venetian. This is Ruth and some other owners? Or? Ruth Parasol, her husband, Russ, Anna Rod Dixit, which was her software partner, and the CEO, Vikram Bargavit. And all four of those people, incidentally, later became billionaires and multi-billionaires after the company went public, which was a couple of years later. So they came over and they said, uh, would you be interested in selling your stock? And I said, yeah. I said, what would you offer me for it? And they said, no, you tell us what you want for it. Well, I didn't want to show my whole cards, and I didn't know what to ask for anyway. But I said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll both write a number down on a piece of paper. We'll see how close we are. And they said, okay, that sounds fair. Now, they went outside the room to huddle. And now, me, by myself, I didn't see the books on party poker. I'm just trying to calculate the games, what we're making, how we're growing, and figure all that out as fast as I could what I thought my stock was worth, you know? Wow, this is, I did not know this. I knew the story. I didn't know this. This is fascinating. So, okay. Just like this, boom, boom, boom. And now they come in and they write down, we turned up our, we turned up our pieces of paper. 
And I'd written 15 million down on my piece of paper, 15 million. They wrote down 10 million on their piece of paper. They said, oh no, 15 million is way too much. We can never pay 15 million, blah, blah, blah. You don't know if something could come in, they could shut us down, site could crash, you know. I said, well, that's what I think it's worth, 15 million. And, you know, I didn't say anything else. Now, remember, I'm broke. Now, these people are trying to give me $10 million just for my stock, you know. I'm sure they'd have kept me on as a consultant probably too. But, you know, but for some reason, I just decided to hold my, stand my ground and hold my guns. And eventually, they'd gone out and they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you $15 million, but here's how you're going to get it. We're going to give you $5 million in cash now. And we're going to pay you $2 million a year for the next five years, okay? So we're going to pay you $2 million a year, but the condition is you can never work for another online site during this time. If you do, we don't have to pay the $2 million. If you do something that violates your contract, something bad, the damage area, we don't pay you. And uh, I said, that's fine. I'll go for that. So that's how it happened. And uh, so they were very smart, really, you know, because they broke it up. Well, they'd keep me on board for another, because at that time I was a hot property and Doyle's room was starting up and they wanted me to work for them and, and uh, you know, other sites. But but in any case, uh, I agreed to that deal and that's what happened. Now I got $5 million then. I got $2 million for each of the next five years. And when they went public, they went public, they gave me a gift of another $15 million that they didn't have to give me. Oh, wow. But I'm sure they felt bad that I sold my stock. It cost me 500 and some million to sell it because the company went public for almost $9 billion. $9 billion. Now, figure when, 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 How many years later did that happen? That was about just exactly 18 months later. Wow. So, and, but you, I mean, how, how much of that is, cause they, the, the number they came, cause if they really knew, like, say they even gave you like a hundred or 50 or something, it'd be like, it's, it's feel, obviously it's so off that it's off. Like, was that, do you think they knew it was really worth like that much more? Or do you think they thought maybe, well, it's worth like more, but not that I much? Know, I mean, but they were just, you know, once they decided to take it public, they knew it'd be worth a lot. And then it went public for almost $9 billion, $9 billion with a B. And just as a bonus, you know, they gave me another 15 million, but, you know, honestly, it, it could have been another 50 or 100, but, you know, I was happy to get the extra 15. Thought that would be plenty to last me in my life, but I realized my. I mean, that's a lot of money. That's still, it's still, it's so I, crazy because these are huge numbers, but it's, uh, it is a wild. Uh, but you know, honestly, Jeff, I screwed it up because, you know, I used to bet sports so much when I didn't have money, where I bet 500 or 1,000 a game on every game on a sheet. And then when you get big money, you start betting 10000 20000 50000 a game. I mean, everything's relative. It doesn't matter how much money you got. And uh, so, you know, you pay $10 million in taxes. That's the first thing. You know, so now you're down to $20 million, You know, and you spend, you give money to family members. You buy a $2 million house, a million, $7 million beach property. And you do all this stuff. It goes fast. Right. And, uh, you know, but... I pissed it away more than I should have. I gambled away more than I should have. And then when I had my son in 2008, you have a wake-up call. I'm saying, geez, you know, I got to give up all this gambling, wild, crazy stuff. There'd be nothing left, you know. And uh, so that, fortunately, that that helped a little bit in terms of my gambling, you know, wildness. And uh, but as you can tell, I still played high on the golf course and played high some places. And and uh, but. You know, I'm not proud of the money I pissed away, you know, and the only reason I tell the stories is that I hope 
young guys coming up that win a big million dollar tournament or something, don't piss it away like I did. You know, that you gotta realize these millions come few and far between. You gotta manage your money. You gotta be smart with it. You can't go out to the nightclub like I've seen so many players do, where they piss off twenty, thirty thousand in a night, you know, paying for everybody. And uh, you know, if you do that too many times, you know, you don't have much left. So uh, money management is more important than anything in the poker world, no matter what they tell you. Doesn't matter if you're the best player in the world, if you can't ante up, what difference does it make? Yeah, it's you know? a great, it's a great story. It's a great uh, lesson. It's and it's also yeah, it's great advice. But again, you obviously have, you're a pillar of the poker industry. You you find yourself in the right spots. You're you're again you're with Party as the uh, you know one of the main main uh, voices and faces of it. And as you said, Rob Young, who's both work we both work for great guy and does a lot and you know we're in the right spot and it's uh it's exciting times poker's poker's moving fast i think there is still another boom i think it's going to come legal full force you know although i'm a little bit pessimistic because black friday happened what nine years ago and you would think by now if you made me bet then i would say i would imagine it's at a a a long time ago and honestly i think when you're trying to get something like that through you run into hurdles when people bring up situations about online poker like ultimate bet and then they bring up situations like full tilt. They couldn't pay the players back, you know, when they had when April 15, 2011 came around. And that should have never, ever happened. You know, it's just pitiful to me that that put such a stain. And I truly believe that's the drawback why we don't have online poker today is because of that scandal that they couldn't pay players. So companies would really have to be regulated and observed. They're going to have to keep deposit money separate from money they use for advertising and paying, uh, you know, shareholders and stuff that Full Tilt never did. And right. they just never thought the party would end. And it's just very sad that something like that could happen. Yeah, that was, Mike, yeah, sure. we might have to take like an intermission. I, I want to keep going. I feel bad. I, I just want to get your hot take on Full Tilt. These are guys you've golfed with, you know. I mean, these are some of the biggest names in poker. You know, who had what to do exactly, but how is it, is it just greed at some level and who was actually making the, the, the actual call there? Cause like this site was hot, full tilt mm-hmm. was crushing. The software was innovative. They had the biggest, some of the biggest names, the faces, they're printing money. I mean, I, the stories I kind of hear a little bit, so I, I never watched the letter files and I think poker news did a thing, but you know, they were giving, I guess, guys millions of dollars of credit, right? They were sending pros the money. It was just like, it was, it seemed like absolute wild West stuff going on, but, but what was like, ultimately the downfall was it just they were they they, they didn't have the money on file it just seems crazy they were printing so much and they couldn't have it sorted out was it just if you remember back in the day you know and i respected all those guys they were the top tier players in poker at the time when they started that site chris ferguson was behind it he's a phd in computer technology and all that and uh so he was the biggest shareholder in it i think our letter was another big one and uh they hired the ceo guy you know to run this and the rest of them were just like ambassadors for the site. Yeah. Guys like Eric Seidel and Eric Langren and, you know, that's those pictures of those guys walking down uh, Fremont Street, you know, the big nine or whatever it was. And so I respected all these guys and, and they were smart. I mean, really smart guys. And I was in shock when this happened, you know, because I never thought guys this smart could fall in a trap like that. And, you know, but as you said, you know, they spent more money on advertising by far than anybody. And they were obviously taking deposit funds and, and putting it in, uh, you know, because truthfully, 
in online sites, there's not that many withdrawals because people just leave the money up because they know they're going to play some more. Yeah. Unless a player needs money, then they'll take something out. Yeah. But most time, people just leave it up. And so there's far more deposits and withdrawals. And, and so they just thought, you know, they could take this money and obviously put it in this. And then I know the shareholders were wanting to start getting, they were doing good. And Chris Ferguson was the lone holdout, to my knowledge, that never wanted to distribute money to shareholders. He always wanted to keep putting the money back in the company and get all the money they made up for these advertising, put the money back in the air. And, uh, you know, but all the other guys, the lower tiered guys that had small percentages, you know, when they voted, they always wanted to vote for their shares. And those guys went out. They started paying shareholders every month. And they were making big money every month, these guys. Yeah. I think Zavi so went through a divorce settlement. I think I saw he was making like 900K a month was the public in, information or something like that. I believe that stands out to me. But yeah, I mean, so it's big money, yeah. right? These guys are getting. He was making a lot. I don't know if it was quite that much, but it was a lot. And when Phil Ivey got a divorce, you know, he put in a divorce that she could have the full tilt shares of his stock and, you know, and that would be it kind of thing. And then 9 11, then her money just dried up from the divorce. And that was all I had to give her. Wow. So she sued to try to get more, but I don't know how all that came out. Yeah. But in any case, you know, it was very sad to me to see that because I had such respect for those guys and then such disrespect. And, and, you know, but I know Chris Ferguson fought as long as he could and he'd made 40, 80 million. I don't know how much it was up to that point. And he put a lot of his own money back in the company to try to keep it going, you know, to maintain it. And afterwards, and, and then they couldn't tell it for a while. And then we know the story the poker stars bought him for 731 million. And they only bought him just to make a deal for themselves, you know, to get themselves out of their own noose with the DOJ. So it was sad. I'm shocked that nobody ever really went to jail from full tilt. I mean, it's stealing people's money. You know, people put money in your bank. You just can't take it and do something with it and not be able to give it back to them when they want it. I, I think that's the most shocking to me that I'm kind of realizing or not. Just like when you think about it out loud, like the, the ultimate bet and the full tilt, like to that point, this is real money. This isn't like, you know, even 10 grand, a hundred grand, a million, two million. You're talking hundreds of millions of dollars and these crazy things. And it's just and almost like holding your money. That's what they're supposed to be doing with it. And your money, you take out a little bit of time to put in to play poker, you know, but now all of a sudden, you want all your money back when the government comes in to stop it. And now they don't have it, you know, and it took to, them six to years. Your point, to your point, and it's obviously completely wrong, but what they were doing is they were operating under the pretense that that was like, oh, well, like, I mean, in theory, if they always ran, I mean, it was essentially like a Ponzi scheme. Like in theory, if the business just were still running today and nothing ever changed, maybe they would have made it right by then or it would have been able to be fixed anyway. No, they were making so much money, but at that time they were still spending tons of money on advertising. And they spent a lot of, you know, and I know they had a few million dollar problem with payment processes or something and all this stuff. I don't know the behind the scenes, but, uh, uh, you know, they had other issues at the time. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Right. They just thought the party was going to keep going. It would never end. So they weren't even worried about it at the time. And then right. bam, it all collapsed at once. There was no money to pay the players back. And that nightmare, I believe, is why there's no online poker in the States today. Yeah. Because of that. Uh, and it is. Like having to make sure that even though you do see it, like Jersey, Nevada, it is sort of coming, but it's trickling. And yeah, maybe it would be sorted out by then and hopefully can get back and, and turned on. This is uh, do you, well, you, need, you need to have Chris Ferguson on here as a guest. Yeah. You know, and he knows the entire story of Full Tilt 
and then get it on Aaron. You know, I have the whole story. Is he a social guy? Like, would, I don't know. I mean, is he a guy that he seems like a nice enough guy? I actually played with them. I think last some two summers ago, he was at, I never played with them before. And he literally in like big field events, I played with them every single event. He was at my table. It was random. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. He still plays them all at the world series. I mean, the rest of them don't play much. Howard letter tried to come back. He put that speech on, but he came back to play and players just chastised him at every table. And I'm sure they did for Chris too, for a while. And, uh, you know, he just shrugged his shoulders and doesn't say a word. But the other people want to take his picture and autographs. He's very willing and very nice. And, you know, I knew Chris before before he got into the poker world, from the dance world. He's a big swing dancer in L.A., and I used to go up dancing over there all the time. So I knew him all the time. And, in fact, it was my girlfriend at that time that gave him his nickname Jesus because he had long hair down to the back, and uh, that's how it was. But uh, then he came into poker, and, he had success in poker, and then he started to full tilt, and, you know. But, uh, yeah. you know, I know he tried hard, and he was the one guy that didn't want to distribute funds to the shareholders and held out, but uh, he was the lone apple and got voted down. Yeah. And uh, he spent a lot of his money trying to save it, but uh, I don't know the real backstory. but it'd be nice to get the real full story of what happened. And that could out- be a movie full tilt. That's got a good title. I tilt, you know, full, full blown tilt there. Yeah. That could be a, that would be interesting to, to get that sort of on uh, documented. And th- this is Ruth Parasol. Is that right? This is her picture of her. Ruth Parasol. It is Ruth Parasol. She never put a picture out there too much, but uh, she was one of the sharpest people I ever saw in my life and uh, was beautiful and was 35 years old the day I met her and dressed to the nines was a lawyer and just sharp as a tack. And, uh, you know, I got the utmost respect for her because she did it. Boom. Her dad was in the, you know, they like to say she was in the phone sex business and all that. And she never was. Her dad was, and he made a fortune in it. And she processed money for the site. Never had anything to do with any of the sites, but she was a money processor. And that's what she did for party incidentally as well. So and banking connect. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, she was, uh, she was a did very well. Yeah, I had Mitch Garber on my podcast for too. Mitch, yeah. obviously, one of the early guys in in party and New Ruth, and and sort of there for the the whirlwind uh, wild time. And and I mean, it's the, yeah, he time because he was the CEO. You know, when they shut us down, you know, and it was the toughest times as to what direction we were going and what we were doing. So, you know, Mitch had it tough, but I'm I'm sure he did well, very well. Yeah, he, he he's uh, he also had that Playtica game. They sold. I don't know if you saw that. That sold for four billion. The WSOP. I think that whole thing. So I mean, the gaming and and, and payment processing. They're like uh, obviously Luxon now and Party Poker, which is incredible. Uh, I don't know if if you're you know how you know Luxon is doing well and that it's it's just such a payment processor that it's tricky, right? The gaming and all this stuff. It's hard. It's like banking too. I don't know how your banking is personally, but being in poker, it's tricky. Uh, banks shut you down. You know. I guess what, like porn? It's It's For anybody who's starting up a new site, it's the very toughest thing is to get banking because they don't even talk to you until you start, until you put at least two million in there, you know, if not more, 20 million. You know, it's a lot when you're starting a big company up and most startups don't have that kind of money. And banking is a very difficult problem. I was so fortunate that we had banking already set up thanks to Ruth and them who had the online gaming sites already. So, you know, that was a beautiful thing, but it's very difficult to get banking. And as you know, full tilt, you know, they had some bank frauds in there somewhere. Like they did some banking with somebody in Utah. And yeah, you, you would deposit, it would say golf balls and all this crazy. Balls. shit. 
I don't know what they did, but I know it was something that was had to be a fraud because you weren't allowed to fund accounts uh, yeah. for online gaming. So, uh, but back when we first started Party Poker, of course, you could use credit cards, and it wasn't for quite a while until they shut those down. Yeah, and uh, you it, know, it was, then, uh, pay, what was it? Um, Net, Net Teller was big. That was when I was in college. People used Net Teller. Yeah, that whole thing. We have, believe it or not, we had a lot of people that uh, would uh, go to the place. Where's the place you go and you just wire money in? You know. Uh, we had, um, Western. Yeah, Western Union. We had players that did that, you know. And uh, well, I'll tell you what, Luxon is is uh, incredible, and that's that's very popular now in Party GVC. That that's game changer, and also has a crypto element to it. Uh, speaking of of a crypto, what do you, do you have any thoughts on on cryptocurrency? Are you familiar with I, it? I got into it, and uh, you know, I do see it has potential, though, especially in the gaming business. That's for sure. And I know that things are in the hopper and, and, uh, you know, Rob's got a thing or two working, I know. And, and, uh, you know, but it could be the future for sure. You know, it'd be so easy, you know, if a player could just transfer money from one casino to the next, withdraw and put it in his account anytime he wanted it, wouldn't have to go through any banks. Yeah. It's fantastic. Potential I see is huge. Well, also, but, I mean, I'll say this for Luxon. Luxon, in terms of banking, uh, it's also similar because they give you a KYC, KYT, know your customer, know your transaction. So you get a rating. And if you have a strong rating, if you're able to be verified and it's, you know, it's good, then it makes it nice because you can store money there. You can send money. It's the same. You go to the Caribbean, you go to the Bahamas. It's a pain in the ass. You got to wire money. You got to deal with it. It's a pain for the sites. It's a pain for other people. And same thing too, like you said, if you don't have X amount of money, banks don't want to, oh, you're cannabis related. Oh, you're, you know, you're poker related. Now I, I have a salary. I've had a salary in poker now for a while, but I've had, I had my Bank of America shut down. I know Negreanu did, Doug Polk. I had my, uh, uh, what else? Chase shut down. I was Chase private client. All my cards there, everything good, used everything, had whatever, out of nowhere, just to, you know, it's a banking decision. And it's like, it, I'm actually sponsored, have like a salary from a poker site, but it's just like, they don't want to touch it. And it's, it's tough. It's like, yeah, it's, you get away from the gamblers and, you know, poker players do have a tough time getting bank accounts sometimes, I know. And some have had it for a long time and had a lot of money in there, like Daniel, like you said, uh, you know, and they close their account, you know, and you got to go find another bank. But yeah. uh, I'm working that way, you know, so. It's all right, Mike. First world problems. Listen, gaming, yeah, it, we do what we love. We're very fortunate that we're able to uh, play and, and be involved in golf, sports, betting, and, and whatever, right? We're able to, to be passionate and live our life like that. And, and I'm not, we, we're not going to whine. Like you said, that bubble, you can't, no, no complaining, Mike. You cash that million dollar buying tournament. There's no, no bad beats, and it's all variants. It's all one game, anyway. So, uh, all right, Mike, I am, before I think of something else fascinating that I want to ask you about, I am going to say, Get your book, Life's a Gamble, if you want to hear more stories like this. Uh, Mike Sexton, chairman of Party Poker. Just the man gets it done, World Poker Tour, voice of. We got the $55 ticket right here. It's still not too late. If you want to get entered, you can fire in, follow the instructions. But, Mike, on your count, we are going to go ahead and draw for $55, courtesy of a party. Maybe someone parlays it into a big score. So let's uh, let's do it. Tell okay. me. What. Stop. Boom. That is stop, go, we're loading. There's a lot of lot of potential people, and this guy named Real Doe Eddie. That sounds like a real nickname. This guy could be I love that thing. Real Doe Eddie, man. He is officially no, he's won something for uh looks like some guys can just win multiple times. It's just interesting. You know, they might maybe they have like a raffle uh hack or whatever, but good for you. 
Yeah, but he's getting real doing. Might not need just $55. Yes. Uh, let's see here. Party Poker username. Party Poker WPT. All great, great, great brands. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, we are going to go ahead and thank you. I'm putting it up. I owe you $55. I'll give it to you as quick as I see you. But uh, let's just throw for one more name. Two, one, two winners. More. All right. Let's see if we can do it. Because I always – there's – you know, nothing's easy. Technology's hard. Let me see if I can uh, do it on the spot. Because sometimes they only let you roll. Can't do it. You got to you fifty-five. Otherwise, we can't do it. Well, otherwise, if we can't, I will still do it again. But it might have to be tomorrow. Let's see if. Okay. See, they're only going to let me do it at one time. Like this shit's. It's hard, man. Technology, even me, I can't. I need Vajran. Where's our man Vajran? He could probably figure it out. But uh, I can't. But we will take it away. I'll, I'll get it from party and we will do another one. I'll have to roll it when I go live next on Twitch. I will not forget though, guys. I appreciate it so much. This will be up on all the, the uh, podcast outlets, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, all the good stuff. And of course you can watch it here on YouTube on replay. Mike, thank you for a three hour. You're one of the few only guests we've done three hours, but we could go more. Maybe we can wow. eat it for lucky. So I used to bring it up in two shows. I love it. I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you so much for your time. Always uh, a pleasure. Thank you so much, and, and we'll see you soon. Well, thanks all you do for poker, Jeff. You as well. Thank you, Mike. All right, guys. Mike Sexton, Legend of the Game. I hope you enjoyed it. We will have another podcast coming up here soon. That was number 71. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.